Welcome to the Supreme Resort Land V World, a podcast about Disneyland and Walt Disney World, and which is the Supreme Resort. Each episode, we will discuss and explore each resort ride by ride, land by land, park by park to determine which is better. I'm your host, Jimmy, and thank you for joining me on this quest to help the greater good of humanity answer this long, elusive question, which is better, Disneyland or Walt Disney World? Joining me as always is Dan. Hey, I'm Dan. Dan. Just want to say a shout out to all the dads and grads out there, <laughs> and especially the get the grads who are dads, and hopefully they're babies having babies. Am I right? Yeah. Whew. And, uh, and also, and also the, the the tiki room dads. So I want to celebrate them because it's, it's dads and grads dads. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, celebrate. So you got to do on Father's Day. Watch tiki yep. room. Yeah, and you stare and, right ahead and hope nobody in your family asks you to sing along. <laughs> Joining us for the first time, uh, co-host on Ears Up podcast, <laughs> Eric. Hi, Eric. Hey, hey, it's nice to uh, it's nice to be part of this this little show this that you you guys are doing over here. Yeah, um, this cute little podcast you guys are working. Yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me. I I really kind of yeah. Let's let's see how this goes. How long have you been around? <laughs> well, the, we're in our. Second year, third year, we started in 2019. So this August th- will be August will be the end of our. Th- oh wow! Okay, well, yeah. well, here's to another uh, few episodes. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we like probably to last a little bit longer, right? Borrow yeah. from uh, ears up the mothership. So thanks. We're for- officially a toddler. Our show is a toddler. That's Are you right. wearing a space camp T-shirt there, Jimmy? I am. I came straight <laughs> from our hike club. And this is our class B T-shirt, so everybody, you know, everybody knows where everybody is because we're all wearing the same color. Uh-huh. And I did not have time between the hot wings and milkshakes I was eating before we recorded. Uh, anyway, it's been a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our show. Sure this is a versus episode. Dan, how come we haven't been releasing episodes? <laughs> <laughs> well, we skipped a an episode. That's true. But I'm sure in the hearts of some of our listeners, we've been skipping a lot of episodes because <laughs> our because show the, usually has this. Yeah, it usually has they, a certain kind of format. Are they still with us? Do they, do they I certainly know? hope so. I hope so. I, I hope, honestly, I, I know that I've enjoyed doing the things that we've been doing. I think you two have. Mm-hmm. But I'm aware that there's a contingency of listeners who are probably itching for uh, a versus show, which this is, and we almost we we were that th- almost came together, and then some timing things happened, and we were like, no, what if we just like put out a bumper, or we can put out a, a, a sidebar or greatest hits, and for surprisingly, I stepped in, and I'm like, no, <laughs> we have been messing with these people enough. Yes. <laughs> we just we could just skip a oh, release, we just take a week off, <laughs> just take a week off. So peek behind the curtain, listener, is that there's only so many versus episodes possible. So if we want to, and we wasted all the the big ones at the beginning before we knew what we were doing, until we figure out some way to relitigate or, um, you know, appellate court this thing, we want to extend the podcast. We like the content. We have some fun ideas and we just kind of like to explore them. The whole March Madness thing, the, the Knott's Berry Farm thing. By the way, people are listening. We have more listeners now than we did before. Uh, the Matt, Natalie May episode of um, Galaxy's Edge is our number one downloaded episode this year. So people are enjoying So, so you're it. saying people don't want verses anymore. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, this is going to be a big episode. And so if this one doesn't get more listeners, then I don't know what will. So, right. Um, and to be but, clear, I'm not, I'm not saying that I think that those 
other episodes aren't good or I don't think we actually have anything to apologize for, but I do understand, you know, you know, if you've been listening from the very beginning, you probably have a certain expectation. I'm, I think we've probably found a way to find a middle ground. We're like, oh, okay, occasionally they veer off and do these other things for one or two shows, but not like five in a row. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, we do have a couple of new reviews that I'd like mm. to read. Mm. This one from Big Papa uh, Chris Bear. Always a treat. Anytime most things are licking experiences, you get five stars. That's a five most star review. Most things are licking? It's probably something you said, Dan. I don't know. Most I mean, likely. I mean, it's between the boys and boys licking, you know, I yeah. think maybe that's what it was from. Yeah, that sounds like a Dan thing. Yeah, um, and another one, this does. is from frostbite.ca. Maybe that's Canadian because bite is spelled B-Y-T-E. Of course, that could be computer talk too. Well, they also call bacon weird things. love the show i love this show the premise the hosts the humor the band the history the banter there's only one thing they can do to improve it for the love of god please stop playing full volume music at the same time whenever someone is talking (laughs) i have to jump 30 seconds every time it starts up other than that thanks for the awesome content five stars well thanks for that feedback yeah Uh, i tend to agree i I try, and uh, sometimes it sounds like it's just fine when yeah. I'm doing the editing. But apparently, as I learned last episode, apparently I am failing. No, you're fine. And Jimmy, so you missed do better. You missed one part here. It says Jeremy is still my favorite part, even though he hasn't been on the show for two years. <laughs> one star. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fake one, everybody. Don't make that up. Um, okay, so also a couple of uh, housekeeping uh, items. We talked about having an East Coast Instagrammer. Dan, mm-hmm. so explain that, please. Well, so we were <laughs> we were looking at our Instagram and thinking about it realistically, and we realized we've been failing. Um, so actually Jimmy's been failing. That's true. He's our Instagram person. Um, and I've been going to Disneyland a ton cause yeah, dream key. And, um, <laughs> you, you might get some lawsuit money by the way. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so I was thinking, you know, I really should take over the Instagram and post just, you know, I mean, you listen to the show, you probably know what that's going to look like. And so, um, oh, Jimmy's also a magic key holder. I forgot. It's not a dream key holder. Like, oh, no, that doesn't no, show up. I right. um, uh, what's this? Here. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> since we're showing things on camera. Uh, right. So I was thinking, hey, we could do that. We could do that. That'd be fun. But that would be very Disneyland centric mm-hmm. um, because that's where I go. Um so what if we reached out and said, hey, if you're a listener and you have Instagram skills, which I'm going to have to learn myself. But if, if you're a listener, if you're interested, if you go to Disney World a lot as well, you don't have to go as often as I do because, I mean, come on. Um, but if you you, know, you like the show, you like our sensibility, you you connect with kind of our, oh, our, I was gonna whatever suggest, our thing is. I was going to suggest Jeremy until you said like the show and our sensibility. Uh, you know. <laughs> 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 um, 
and it, basically, if you're listening to this and you're going, hey, that's me, ooh, ooh, that's me, and you're pointing and jumping up and down, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I hope you're in public. And second, um, <laughs> uh, reach out to us and tag us. It'll sh- basically, audition. Show us what you would do, and maybe we'll get a couple people. Maybe we'll get nobody. But basically, we can hand over the keys to our East Coast Instagram. I think we can figure it out. Um, to basically just have more representation of the show on Instagram. And I would prefer it to be something fun. Don't, right. I don't want it to be like a homework assignment, like be yourself, have fun with it, make some connections to the show ideally or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and you don't have to be an East coaster per se, but if you like Instagram and would like to help uh, give more content. Dan can provide Disneyland content. If you could provide Disney world content just to exactly. fill out the thing. And I, you know, listen, I guess I'm just lazy or dumb or I don't know. Cause it just doesn't even cross. Well, we're, mind. we're old really is that what is the true. problem is. <laughs> um, so yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> maybe, uh, you could start, um, tagging, uh, WDWNT.com. He's already st- getting plenty of ideas from us. <laughs> so I was the okay. So I don't hate watch Disney. What is it called? WDWNT WDW News Today. I do though. I do. I kind of do. But the thing is, it's good content. It's good for concierging to kind of know what's going on. So I watched the Disneyland one and the Disney World one. And he was talking about Doc Ondar's, and they had you know Tom Corliss. Yeah, Tom Corliss. Right? Sorry, he was talking about Doc Ondar's. And in Doc Ondar's, if you listen to the May Natalie episode, which all of you listening probably did because that's our most downloaded, um, Natalie talked a lot about the proton packs and that kind of thing from Ghostbusters and the influence. And Tom Corliss showed a miniature version they're selling there now and talked about basically what May did. And I'm like, he totally listens. He definitely got that from us. Clearly. Or one of his staffers. I mean, Uh, he's got to have staff, right? Yeah. So, I yeah, guess. but you wouldn't know it because he's the the face of the whole damn thing. And what is this news tonight thing that they do? They're, they're trying to advertise it looks this awful. talk show that they're doing. It looks horrible. But anyway, I think he's an ego, uh, egomaniac, uh, but good content as far and as. And clearly and clearly, clearly taking from uh, content providers like ourselves. Of course. Who uh, have a smaller audience and he is, you know, I feel like he thinks that because not a lot of, because more people uh, are familiar with his work that he can just grab whatever. He's like Robin Williams, but like Ooh. less funny and more wow. alive. And oh, um, I, <laughs> what? Oh, is it too soon? I'm sorry. <laughs> Next you're going to be you making just, Lincoln jokes. <laughs> It's a mind blowing experience. Um, anyway, uh, oh, <laughs> what? Too soon again? It took, Sorry, it took too long for us to do that. <laughs> That's right. Oh my god. Anyway, I forgot so, what I was saying. Tom Gross, uh, come at check us. him out. Come everybody. at us. Bring it. It is good content. We, have, we know at least two lawyers. Yeah, but connect us on Twitter or whatever. I don't know. Whatever people say. Um, also pretty, okay. Yeah. Chapexshirt.com. Yeah. There it's it's for it a good cause. It's for Eric, take over. I've been talking too much. Yeah, Chapex, <laughs> if you it, well, I, I mean I'm gonna rely on you for some of the, the cast member uh, reactions, but uh, ultimately I can I can summarize this because I was there when it was born. <laughs> and, 
Dan has graced this planet with a, a, a new fundraising opportunity for the Orlando Youth Alliance. Um, did I get the name right, Dan? You did. Orlando Youth Alliance. There we go. <laughs> you did. You did. I, I remember the charity that we're, we're donating to. But uh, Dan has created a few different shirt selections that are designed to raise awareness about uh, Bob Chapek, the uh, CEO of the For Walt now. Disney. Yeah. It, CEO and not president of of uh, Walt Disney Productions. What's the name of the company? What 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 is this? Walt Disney I don't know. Universal. Productions. Sure, we'll, we'll go with that. Did, president, not 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 president. CEO of Disney, <laughs> Bob Chapek. We've talked about him. You've heard about him on different things. And uh, yeah, Dan has created a few shirts that might point out some of his. Um, some of his physical characteristics, like his, uh, how he might not be a thumb. He is a person. Mm-hmm. He's, He's not a thumb. Pile of roast beef. Yeah, he does look. He does look a little bit like like a, a beef roast. He does. And um, yeah, very much so. He also uh, might be terrible, as a certain shirt suggests. So, if you would like to express your feelings about uh dan's feelings about bob jpeg you can purchase <laughs> one of these shirts and all proceeds go to charity that's uh, right dan, and by the- how do <clears throat> hmm? yes huh uh dan how do how do cast members react to such shirts in the parks after your many tests so okay the thumb one nobody really cares i haven't gotten any response from um the uh the one where he's where i made uh chapek into a sentient uh round roast of beef i haven't worn that one yet because frankly the beef looks like a penis oh. um <laughs> maybe not. so does bob chapek <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh and i think it's hilarious <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, however, the Bob Chapek, oh, sorry, Chapek is kind of terrible shirt. Mm-hmm. I, and every time quote, I wear it, it. Is it a quote? No, no, no. It's just Chapek okay, is kind of terrible statement. with uh, magic sprinkles and it's in Disney font. Um, cast members love it. So if you actually, unlike me, enjoy getting attention of strangers, um, I hear that's a way to do it. <laughs> Dan, have you ever been almost arrested at the parks because of this shirt? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I went to a security person who looked just like Colonel Sanders. And as I walked up to said security person, I something in my mind went, this is not the right person. And <laughs> he, he looked at me disapprovingly and he said, whoa, 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 hold on. What's that shirt about? I said, well, JPEG is kind of terrible. <laughs> said i don't think that's that's the the president of our company i didn't correct him uh-huh. and <laughs> i don't think you should be wearing that I, said, I have been wearing it and people generally think it's really wonderful so well if people if people get offended by that then i said they won't be it's actually a true statement <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then i i appealed to his um inner thumbness <laughs> and i kind of I, I pulled out the like well this is my first amendment right <laughs> and uh, and i could see the flags in his eyes go you know raise back up from half mast he was like okay young patriot <laughs> but didn't he say you might have to turn it inside out yeah you might have to turn it inside out That's yeah funny. and i had a tram driver <laughs> the oh, tram the tram driver, driver, tram driver. Got out he of came the tram. out of the tram <laughs> again 
similar demographic. <laughs> and he, he's like, what does that shirt mean? Why are you wearing that shirt? <laughs> I was like, well. <laughs> so if you yeah. would like to wear clothing that may or may not um, incite people who are perhaps pro chapek or at least at least <laughs> company loyalists there yeah. i'm those people are out there i'm sure they're, and for they're those taking a 90 yeah, percent very positive 95 percent 99 percent extremely positive but you get those occasional people that are actually offended by it and i'm like so what's up with you <laughs> but i'm sure they have no problem with uh i gave her the d yeah. Oh, they probably like high five that person. They're like, yeah. <laughs> me too, bro. Uh, and uh, to help prevent you from yelling at your phone, uh, it's the Walt Disney Company. Walt Disney right. Company. Okay. Thank you, Jimmy. We should probably know that. Yeah. <laughs> we all have stock in this company. So. <laughs> so the statue in the middle of the park is not Hitler. It's Walt Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Mouse holding Walt Disney. <laughs> Um, okay. And his so, tie pin is uh, STR, Smoke Tree Ranch. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Because that's mm, yeah. thing he owned in Palm Springs. Yeah. Or was that Golden Oak? Anyway. Golden Oak is the where the studio is, right? Something like that. Part, and it's part also of the, the studio. Place you can live at Disney World. But we've gone on long enough. <laughs> Eric, you're on ears up. What's going on with that? Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, Terrence, well, I've been I've been showing up every once in a while for the last few months because Terrence has had to reduce the amount of ears up he was doing. And Jason had invited me to a few episodes and one thing kind of led to another. And uh, Terrence announced just this last week that he is retiring from ears up for the time being. And Jason gave me a call and and said, would you like to be on a more permanent basis? And I said, let me talk to my wife. And I did. And he called me. <laughs> no. Did he? No. Okay. You, you <laughs> called me. Oh, I called. Yes, I called Jimmy and said, is this okay? Are you okay with <laughs> I this? I said, call Brandy. <laughs> like, oh, 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 yes, my actual wife. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to her too. Uh, but yeah, it, really, it's it, I, I don't think it'll impact this show Um at all because this is my this is my first show this is my my home show mm -hmm. i have my other show uh the hub crawl that is going pretty well that one's pretty easy to throw together mm -hmm. and yeah, well, really you know what i had a show also so don't get too you know <laughs> impressed with yourself i mean i also once upon a time had three podcasts well mm -hmm. good bully for you um <laughs> bully your your show also took an amazing amount of prep. Uh, no wonder you had to stop the the in depth look into the Beatles catalog. Well, we, just, we just ran out of Beatles albums and COVID started. <laughs> yeah, it, it was something where it, I mean I don't have to ha have content every episode. I can yeah you know that, show that's kind of the way ears up goes. Sometimes yeah. you can show up. Sometimes you'll do stuff, and I think it's good for <laughs> this show. I agree for me to be on there and I it's agree. fun. I like the, the people that are there and I've been listening to them for many, many years. So it's you're kind of a weird add, situation. You're going to add a lot of, you're going to bring breadth. Well, that too. You're going to bring a lot of breadth <laughs> to the show. I mean, Terrence is great. He's a lot of fun, big booming laugh and, and lovable. Um, and, and you've got a great voice. You've got a great sort of perspective and, and you'll bring in a less Disneyland centric perspective. Although that's what the show's about. 
Uh, they have enough Disney World content on the show. You obviously know how to do history. And like you said, I think people will listen to you, get to know you better on Ears Up. And then, you know, we don't get all of the Ears Up listeners. Probably a majority of our listeners were originally Ears Up listeners. But I think you're going to drive more traffic to the show because you're able to give content like you've done in the past. When you're on, you say, oh, we did that on Supreme Resort or whatever. Although, I don't know if I've picked this beef with you. Um, there does, does the beef look like any CEOs? <laughs> of the Walt Disney Company. Um, no, but we, you were on ears up and you guys were talking about something and, and I, I, I forgive me cause I'm not going to be able to give any context other than it was something along the lines of like crappy <laughs> Disney sequels. And I'm like, uh, Eric, now's the chance to, there's a podcast about that. Like if nobody said anything, I'm like, come on. Interesting. Eric, I don't, Eric, uh, I don't re- recall ever hearing a podcast about Disney sequels. Exactly. Get, get ready for past show corrections of the other show. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we haven't done those in a while. Um, yeah, Jimmy's just going to criticize me openly, um, and and <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. No, we'll see. How, I, I think it's we'll see how this good. goes. It's going to be good for the show for everybody. It's going to be good for ears up. Going to be good for our show. So I, I'm more power to you. I think it's great. Um, but before we get to our main topic, which is Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a scientist spotlight related to this episode that Eric is going to provide now. <laughs> all right all right here's a salute to bromine on this episode's scientician spotlight uh, bromine is atomic number 35 on the peri- periodic table it is a red brown liquid at room temperature which is interesting there aren't too many elements that are liquid at room temperature i think the only other one is mercury but you know, don't quote me on that. I'm not a. I guess I am. The other one is talking Mercury. about this. I'm just writing this down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Go for that. Anyway, uh, bromine is named after the Greek word for stench due to its harsh smell. <laughs> um, it has a very distinctive smell that is quite pungent. It uh, bromine is highly soluble and reactive. It's difficult to see in its elemental form because it tends to form salts. Uh, with other other elements, um, so it's rarely on its own. It also is readily dissolvable in water, and that's why we love it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, bromide salts have been used in medicine for their somnolent effects, but they can cause rashes, nausea, and vomiting, psychoses, and hallucinations, oh. and death at toxic levels. So, at some time in the past, if you wanted to, you know. If you needed to sleep, you would sniff some bromide salts. Well, um, that would uh, that wouldn't ultimately not not the best thing. We have better medicine for that now. Uh, I'm people, reminded of The Simpsons where Lisa went on the parody of the Small World and she drank the water and she like <laughs> she run into the park. I'm a lizard queen. She's the lizard queen. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of the idea. Um, it, there was a whole everybody was on bromine. It was great. Uh, but it's been uh, about 200 years since bromine was first discovered in 1825. So we're nearing that 200th anniversary. I expect, I expect a big party in 2025. Dan, I can't read your sign. Yeah, it's real. But, uh, it's real blurry, Dan. Yeah, sorry, Dan. I'm sure it'll look great on the video. <laughs> by the way, ship. I drew a pirate ship. Oh, oh thank you. Very Dan. good. Oh, nice. Oh, 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 oh. now it's it's coming in. Oh, oh look at that. That's on bromine. <laughs> 
floating you on should put that on your fridge oh a plus all right bromine has also been used as a flame retardant but it was re- that that use was reduced because it's found that bromine has also been depleting the ozone layer so it's been restricted in most countries we don't want that getting into the air. It's also been used in brominated vegetable oil or BVO, a Ooh. compound in soft drinks that keeps um, that helps emulsify citrus flavors, keeps them in suspension. It's been outlawed in most countries wow. as well because of the, uh, the the problems with consuming large amounts of bromine. Uh, the FDA uh, has not outlawed bromine, so uh, big bromine still holding some sway with the <laughs> FDA. Uh, the FDA just says maybe you shouldn't drink uh, like two liters of BVO infused soda multiple times per week. Uh, they don't really advice. have any specific guidelines around it, but you probably shouldn't be drinking any soda in that quantity that often. You think the theme park theme park lobbyists are on the FDA? About yeah, that? totally. Like, no. <laughs> well, funny you should mention theme park uh, beeswax. BVO or BV, sorry, I'm looking at my. I'm just so obsessed with the soda portion. Bromine itself is an antiseptic, kind of like chlorine, but it's more expensive. Um, as I mentioned, it dissolves very readily in water, much like chlorine, but it it doesn't it doesn't stay well in suspension when it's used outdoors or in um, so or, or out in the sun, basically. Uh, chlorine does much better in pools it, so they have the kind of the same the same effect where it keeps it keeps water clean but chlorine has stabilizers and other compounds that help kind of keep it in solution bromine doesn't work like that it, there are no stabilizers that we've found that can keep it in water very well um, and it's more stable at heated temperatures and at a wider range of ph so it's great for indoor hot tubs, indoor pools, and theme park rides. Yeah. Ooh. But yeah. it's more expensive. So why do they use it instead of chlorine? Uh, probably because who wants to go through Pirates of the Caribbean and smell a pool? Yeah, good point. It, and Dan, well, Dan, Dan wants to. His hand. Yeah. So actually, um, chlorine is my favorite smell in the world. But really? I do also, okay. yeah, it's, but I also do love that sweet smell of bromine because yep. of this ride. And you can get magic candles that smell like bromine. You sure, sure can. can. They're oh, not a sponsor, so we won't tell you where to find them. No. <laughs> it's magiccandlecompany.org. <laughs> Throw them off the scent. <laughs> 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 Throw them off the tell, scent. See what I did there? Tell yeah. them this. The pre-resort sent you. Yeah. So if it's indoors, you're probably smelling bromine. If it's outdoors, it's probably chlorine, right? Right. Yeah. And I think it's mostly, it, it's, not, it, it's not just that it's, I mean, it's more expensive, but it is more stable in that that environment right. where it, pH is a is a difficult thing to keep. Where chlorine, I mean, if you ever had if you've had a pool, if you've had a hot tub, and you use chlorine in it, one of the things you really need to keep track of is that pH, and you need to keep it in a very tight range mm-hmm. of acidity and alkalinity. Where it, keep it tight. Bromine, yeah, bromine doesn't have quite that same effect. But yes, uh, professor, scientist, I have. <laughs> oh a, yes, yes, you. I, you Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, you might not. This doesn't really relate to bromine itself, but since we are going to be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean and that delicious, distinctive smell that it has, is that smell entirely bromine, or is it bromine plus like mechanical stuff plus old building? Fifty plus years of dust. 
And mildew. Yeah. yeah. And mildew. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that smell is more than just bromine. But the bromine is definitely like the 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 skeleton that everything else is built on it. Yeah, I think that's a very because it is a very distinctive smell. It I mean, it's like chlorine. You can't you know what that yeah, smell is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a very chemically smell. It's very distinctive. Um, but so but if yeah, I it, really want to recreate the smell, I go to magiccandle.org dot org, mm-hmm. and I and uh, get the the type that Supreme one. Resort in the promo code, <laughs> <laughs> and your computer will explode. Clippy will appear again. Yeah, hello, you miss me? Um, no, Clippy. so <laughs> so you get that. You get some. Bro- okay, so you get a big pile of bromine, and you put it in your room. If you want it to sound, it's to smell like Pirates of the Caribbean. And then you also do a load of laundry and you leave it in the washing machine for like yeah, two days. Yeah. That's and right. you bring it in. And then a that's few days. the smell. Yeah. Get some old plywood. Yeah. Get, yeah, get that sure. nice and wet and leave that. I out hope there's for a few someone days. listening to it like scribbling down. <laughs> plywood. And then, okay. Uh, okay. And then you imply uh, rape. And then, <laughs> and add a little bit of uh, of uh, industrial lubricant. Um, That's right. And motor oil. Yeah, it, it'll um, be great. Okay. No, thank you, Eric, for that scientific. Well, we're we're, we're, oh, we're not quite done, done yet. Done. I have. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. dare you? Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks to bromine. Your favorite theme park rides do not smell like a swimming pool, but instead smelled like a weird, musty, pungent room. Next time you ride Pirates of the Caribbean, thank your friend. Atomic number 35. Everybody together now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah, we didn't. No, we'll make t-shirts. I, Thank you, Bromy. Re- yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, that sounds like something we Disney nerds will start calling each other. Like Brosif. We'll call each other Bromy. What's up, Bromy? <laughs> That'll catch. Okay. Well, welcome back to the Supreme Resort. Land v. World. Uh, oh, maybe we should have taken a break there. But anyway, I'm saying welcome back because we haven't done a Versus episode in so long. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's a great place works. for an ad. <laughs> it's fine. So um, are we putting the ad here and then you say welcome back? Well, again? no, I think it would work because the science system spotlight. Thank you, Bromine. And then okay. break. Yeah. And now we're so I'm going to put the ad here instead. Yeah, okay. we'll do, do it right now. And we'll be right back. Your attention, please. <laughs> And we're back. Uh, okay. <laughs> Welcome back from hold my breath the whole time. <sighs> okay. This episode, the working title of this episode is Pirates of the Caribbean Original IPV Fan Service. Now, I say oh. fan service because of the origin of Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney World, which I'm sure you'll get into. Uh, Dan is going to argue for the Disneyland version, which came first, circa 1967. Mm-hmm. Arguing for real pirates. And for real pirates. And then Eric will be discussing Pirates of the Caribbean from Florida, which opened in 1973. And yeah, and that's it, 1973. And that is how we pronounce it Caribbean. Caribbean. The way, the Caribbean. way Jimmy just said Caribbean. It. Well, because then it's Caribbean. Caribbean and Caribbean. Caribbean. How about it. that? <laughs> just make everybody happy. Caribbean. Um, oh, it's, it's re because it's the second one. Yeah. Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Um, anyway, so Dan will be arguing for Disneyland. Derek will be arguing for a dog. That's my dog. And, um, <laughs> and so how this works, if I'm reminding myself, is that you guys, yeah. 
each have an opening statement. Dan goes first, Eric goes second, and then we will talk about the queue, the ride, the impact of the land, and which is better. Correct? But before we do that, I'm really looking for affirmation on this, guys. <laughs> yes, this well, sounds right to me. It, it sounds sounds right. That's how I arranged that my how you I mean, okay. That's how I have memorized the yes. whole thing entirely. And um, but if you hear, oh, wait, sounds. So if, <laughs> I'm gonna be the judge. <laughs> how does judge? How does show? <laughs> I'll be the judge, and if I like something that Dan says, you will hear this sound. Dan, go mm-hmm. ahead. Is that the banjo at the beginning of the? That's ride? the banjo guy. Yeah. Because, uh, well, you'll find out. Okay. And if I like something Eric says, you will hear. Ahoy, mateys. How do you feel of tacos? Which is from what? Pirates of the Caribbean. It doesn't <laughs> How do you feel of taco? See <laughs> Captain McAllister. He's in the background uh, in the fire scene. He's, he's standing behind the guy with all the hats. See <laughs> Captain McAllister. Is that from uh, uh, the, the one with... Uh, the guy that does Rex from Star Tours, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. No, that's not Paul. That's not Paul Rubens. No, I, no. Sea Captain McAllister. What's that from? That, that's from The Simpsons. The the character <sighs> specifically that sound is from the episode where he's advertising that they have an all you can eat buffet, and Homer um, destroys his business by eating all of his food. eating it all. Yeah. Okay. And honestly, I, I I this could be me just being me, but. I'm picturing the skull at Disney World just saying that to you before you go down. <laughs> and your just, fill of chuckle. Just totally fits. It doesn't, it's not out of the, <laughs> I'm going to take your picture now. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, Dan will go first. Uh, uh-huh. Let us hear your opening statement of Pirates yes. of the Caribbean. Okay. <clears throat> um, how does one define perfection? Merriam-Webster defines it thusly. One, the quality or state of being perfect, such as freedom from fault or defect, flawlessness, maturity, the quality or state of being saintly. Two, A, an exemplification (laughs) of supreme excellence. An unsurpassable degree of accuracy or excellence. The Neo-Aristotelian Thomas Herka describes perfectionism as follows. This moral theory starts from an account of the good life or the intrinsically desirable life. I put before you a movie called The Dark Knight. This is the story of a plucky young detective by the name of Batman <laughs> who takes on crime in his humble hometown Can't wait of Gotham to figure City. out how you take this back to pirates. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We actually will. You might be asking yourself, does his neck move? Yes, yes, it does. The cause of crime in Gotham City, an eccentric incel called the Joker. The Joker was played by Heath Ledger. He died while making R.I.P. this movie. Rip. Therefore, Pirates of the Caribbean is the perfect theme park ride. The- what? what? Tied up with a neat bow. <laughs> did Heath Ledger die during the making of the movie? Oh, he sure did. I thought that did was he later. really? Huh. I thought it was after. Huh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well. Okay. Well, I, don't know. I mean, I, said I it, so. accept your opening statement. I don't know <laughs> like- what it has to do with Batman in any way. <laughs> I, okay, I will get there. Okay. But. I wrote this after about 20 hours of research. 
Oh boy. <laughs> and I was just like, ah, it's here. <laughs> now I will say that the the definition, and I'm curious what dictionary.com calls perfection, but the the definition does uh, actually touch on Pirates of the Caribbean as a ride. You know, it's it's got maturity, it's got uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of so yeah, I, I accept your opening argument, no points. I, I mean, do you do you want me to? I I can just go ahead and do what the Batman connection is if you want. Because I, I mean, unless it's a there. big buildup, it's not a big buildup. I I think. Um, so I was I've been thinking about this ride a lot, obviously. Um, and Eric and I have been talking about the ride to some extent, and I think that this this uh, Disneyland versus Magic Kingdom Pirates of the Caribbean situation, people. People give the Magic Kingdom version a lot of crap, and I think some of it's deserved, but not yeah. necessarily. I think it's kind of like an America Canada thing where like we just kind of like playfully make fun of each other. Um, but I also think that, and again, this is highly opinionated, mm-hmm. um, Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland kind of redefined what a um, what we should expect from a theme park ride. And it was at the time, and I, I would argue to some extent today, kind of the, the the perfect, maybe not the perfect ride, but like if someone were to say in the abstract, what is the perfect dark ride? Mm. Someone could say Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. And just like someone, if someone were to say, what is the perfect superhero movie? Someone could say the dark Knight. Condor man. Oh, after Condor Man, they say the Dark Knight, which I think really it took this thing that kind of existed already and it just like nailed it down in this way where it's just like, no, this is this can be seen as a standard. They don't all have to be like this, but this is kind of like when it's all firing at its highest level, this is what it can look like. And then came Dark Knight Rises, Rises. Returns, whatever. And I remember going into that movie thinking like, there's no way it's going to be as good because that's just not possible. And um, it's a fine movie. So but are you saying that put Pirates one right Caribbean. next to the other? Yeah. Put one right next to the other and the other, no matter how good it is, is going to kind of pale in comparison. So Pirates in Magic Kingdom is the Dark Knight Rises. It's Bane. Yes. It's Bane. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. It's, it it's the Dark Knight Rises. But it doesn't really... Uh... It's still good. It's it's yeah. not it's not it's not bad at all by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it's its predecessor whether deserved or not, and I think we'll kind of get into that has such a heavy weight around it. And partially who knows if it's because Heath Ledger died, who knows if Pirates of the Caribbean mm. is so beloved because Walt Disney died. Um I I don't know that we have man. They do share a lot of similarities, don't they? You see, it wasn't just the rantings of a <clears throat> lunatic. I mean, both, both. Why not both? Sure. Right? Why not both? <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's great. Thank you. That's a sound argument to be fair. Um, and you know, don't want to get too far ahead of us, but go ahead, Eric, with your opening statement. All right. My opening statement uh, is that I think Condor man was Donald Pleasance's <laughs> finest work. Well, and <laughs> Michael Crawford, the Phantom of the Opera himself. Oh yes, I mean, I, I know, I know that Pleasance uh, played uh, Ernst Stavro Blofeld in in whichever James Bond movie, but yeah, like the first his one. his best villain role was um, 
whatever his name was in Condor Man. I don't remember his character's name. I apologize to the listener, the Condor Man fan out there. The one. <laughs> the one. Michael Crawford. Person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> one of our listeners. How could you not remember my finest work? Donald One Pleasance was a saint. Review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Damn my Michael Crawford impression, everybody. <laughs> he puts the mask on. <laughs> Singing it as he types the one story. <laughs> Donald Pleasance, I love you. Oh, All right. All right. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at Walt Disney World. My goodness, uh, as Dan alluded to in his opening statement, it is it, it is a sequel. It is an attempt to take a fantastic, an amazing attraction from one coast, one could say, and move it. Correct, yes, and move it to another place, put it into another context. Uh, we'll get into the history here, but ultimately, the way the way I'm approaching this is. This is this was my first Pirates of the Caribbean, and for many people around the world, this mm. is their first and, and only. only Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean. Yeah, it, it's still an amazing attraction. It 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 it's shorter. Okay, some things are different. There are some things that I I maintain are better. Some things that are improvements. Mark Davis took an opportunity to he was he was we'll get in again we'll get into the history here but he was slighted when he was told hey that thing that you really wanted to do we're not doing that we're going to do the other thing we're going to do the pirates thing and he said okay i'm going to make this a little bit better with what i have and ultimately what we are, what we ended up with is an attraction that is beloved it is well attended it achieves its purpose of getting people into the ride it satisfies guests to this day it is one of the best attractions in the world there i said it okay when mark davis didn't get his way one time (laughs) uh yeah and you're referring of course to the western river adventure which you'll talk about a little bit and we explored a little in the frontierland episode correct yes may and cat no, that's May, May and Kat. Natalie. May and Natalie. And Natalie. May Cat and Natalie. <laughs> and yeah, anyway. Uh, and Dan. Okay, cool. Dan was there too. Dan was, there. was there too. And we were in a, a seedy hotel room in the lower <laughs> west side of <laughs> Anaheim Hills city? or whatever the hell. <laughs> um, yep, that hotel is dead to me. So anyway, moving I on. I know. I know. Um, okay, so Dan, you're going to tell us that there's a lot of history of these. They share history to some extent, I mm-hmm. assume. So Dan with the history and maybe Eric, if you want to sort of chime in on any additional history that he either didn't cover or didn't know about because it's not related to. Yeah, please do. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about the history of pirates, just like in the zeitgeist, like our culture. Um, People love pirates. And if you need proof of this, just look at... uh, the history of pirate films, the history of pirate things in media. You got Muppets, uh, Treasure Island. You got um, all sorts of pirate stuff. And um, it's the only one you need to mention. I, yeah, my, my brain just failed for a moment. Um, I'm, I'm going between tabs. and I'm trying to like figure out how I'm going to put this together. Um, so pirates were just they were criminals. But um, I my personal theory about why people like them so much is that they were criminals, but they were going against the crown. So us as, you know, 
independence love and Americans, we kind of get a pass in loving them because, uh, you know, they're, they're independent. They, they, they can kind of do what they want. Uh, and that really speaks to us, um, just culturally. Um, so it really, it goes pretty far back, but I'm going to start with treasure Island. And that was a book, um, by you would think I would have the name of the person who wrote Robert it, Lewis Stevenson. Thank you. Nice. Um, <laughs> nothing. Dan knew it. It's fine. <laughs> yes, I did. It's a joke. I'm a character. I love the Beatles. Um, it was influenced by a little book called a general history of the robberies and murders of, uh, the most notorious pirates. And that was by captain Charles Johnson and this book, not Treasure Island, but that book, uh, was probably kind of historical fiction, but it was also very rooted in history because there was a lot of interviews being done. And Captain Charles Johnson was most likely a pen name of Daniel Defoe, who, by the way, is was the author of Robinson Crusoe. Oh. And then this is really weird because we have the Swiss family Robinson, which is an attraction right next door to Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> and right. Yeah. So I don't I, I'm sincerely doubt any of this was intentional. It's just these fun things that happen when you look and, into. And things. yet that fact, no one has ever put those together before. Yeah. And uh, that's Tom right. Corliss will be talking about it next week. <laughs> oh, we should plant little Corliss bombs. Um, <laughs> and by the way. When you, I asked you guys both for um, things from a show notes, and and <laughs> you typed Corliss beef, and so <laughs> every time I look at, it, I'm like, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need to go with the recipe for Corliss beef. Corliss beef. It's a little bitter. It's a little bitter. <laughs> well done. It's got to be well done. So it's also Fatty. possible, though, that the person who actually wrote that book, not Treasure Island, but the general history of robbery, robberies and murders, was Nathaniel Mist, who was a journalist and a painter and kind of a general rabble rouser. And there's um, Mist in the Jungle Cruise. Exactly. Huh? Oh. Yep. <laughs> um, so what is interesting about this is, I, you know, as I'm going down this rabbit hole, of course, I'm trying to figure out. Where are these people's political linings? And turns out they're like exactly opposite. Um, both of them have a history of writing propaganda for both the Tories and the Whigs. So if you're trying to, fi- if anyone's trying to figure out any sort of like political leaning of whoever, which I'm probably the only one <laughs> of whoever wrote this original book, it's impossible because it's either completely one way or completely the other. And it was a long time ago and they're all dead. So anyway, Treasure Island um, was historical fiction. And at the time, if you think about it, it, it's kind of like the way the Da Vinci Code was in terms of popularity. Uh, It used real places and events. So it was it was relatable. And at the time, colonization was a big deal. And it spoke to our expansionist conquest point of view that eventually led us to World War One. So it was kind of the perfect thing at the perfect time and it just took the hell off uh and so we get them we get them pirate movies <laughs> that's how i said it uh and um also swashbucklers were the kind of an extension of pirate movies they were super popular mainly because it was uh back when silent movies were a thing this is very very uh action oriented 
Um, so you can have, you know, sword fights, you can have all sorts of fights and it's, it's silent. So all you really need is that organist sitting there, you know, doing most of the work. Um, it was a romantic setting, which evoked romance novels, which were popular also at the time. So you kind of have something for everyone in there, including the filmmakers. It's kind of just like, it's cheap. It's easy. People like it done. Um, so long comes this plucky young guy called Walt Disney. And he starts making him some movies and uh, some movies that included pirates in them were as follows. You got Peter Pan, Davy Crockett and the river pirates, which included, by the way, Mike Fink killboats in them. Oh yeah. And killboats, by the way, I looked this up. They're literally built to not tip over, which is hilarious (laughs) because the killboats at Disneyland tipped over. (laughs) <laughs> um, you got Swiss Family Robinson, which uh, again, Swiss Family Treehouse, that has pirates in in, in them in it. Uh, Shipwrecked is a movie that they made. Uh, Treasure Island, and made you know the book, and Treasure Planet after that. But yeah, long, Walt Disney was long dead after that. Uh, long John Silver is another pirate movie they made. Robin Hood fits in the swashbuckler mold. Uh, the story of Robin Hood and his Merry Men was a live action movie that they made. The Sword and the Rose, not directly piracy, but pirate-ish. Very, very influenced by pirates. And the great locomotive chase, which was basically train pirates. Um, they should have just called it train pirates. They should have called it train pirates. And I'm going to get a little sippy of water if you two want to discuss. Okay. Well, uh, hey, mm, don't forget the, mm, well, non-Disney, mm, but. Mm, okay. Mm, yeah. Good. Good. Good bromine. contribution there. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of bromine. Dan's going to nappy time now. <laughs> uh, also very popular, the Gilbert and Sullivan musical, The Pirates of Penzance. Um, but, right. But yeah, very, I mean, all media really for, for, hundreds of years have been focused on on these stories of pirates that were like you said Dan they were they're independent they were mysterious sure they caused many many a ruckus in the spanish main and and such but yeah it's really interesting that we really kind of latched on to these characters um knowing so little about them and really most of the things that you hear about most of these stories are not at all what piracy was other than pirates were independent. And um, a lot of them, there was a lot of equality on ships. They had allowed women, they allowed, they allowed diversity. They had, they had people from other cultures on their boats. Can you believe it? Crazy. <laughs> it's mm. wild. Right. Um, but yeah. They, they just, everything was an equal share. That's, that's just what they stood for. A lot of pirates stood for. Well, and we have talk like a pirate day. We don't have talk like a cowboy day, talk like an astronaut day, talk like a clown day, although that'd be awesome. Um, What would that sound like? (laughs) Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Hey, kids. So goofy. It's like a higher pitch goofy. (laughs) Or just honking horns. Um, (laughs) That'd be great. Let's start that. Uh, So... Kind of like, we, we, you know, so pirates were everywhere, at least in terms of like the culture. And I think at the time that Disneyland was built, the feeling was kind of not so much, uh, are we going to build a pirate ride or a pirate attraction? More like, where will we put it and when will we build it? Um, 
So um, I'm going to take a little, but one of you remind me to get to New Orleans Square. I'm going to go to Pirate's Wax Museum. Um, So as early as 1957, which was two years after the opening of Disneyland, I know when things happen, uh, they were talking about Pirate's Wax Museum. And as we all know, Walt loved his wax museums. Uh, Hall of Presidents was going to be wax museums. The Energy Show in Edison Square was going to be a wax museum. Uh, so he, he was like, okay, Pirates Museum. Um, actual plans were super vague, um, but it never really went through like the development hell that Haunted Mansion went through. And if you'd like to listen to the Haunted Mansion episode, it's highly uncomfortable and very informative. Um, <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> you can hear me squirm the whole time uh so yeah it uh, haunted mansion just to sum up there was a lot of kind of warring between egos and visions because walt had fresh was was freshly dead i don't know and <laughs> i don't know why but freshly like dead <laughs> <laughs> still right <laughs> um and so you have, you know, Mark Davis, who is the most important Imagineer ever, and the other guy who's in my notes somewhere. But According to him. Like, yeah. And I can't uh, What's the other guy's name. I have it in here, but. Uh, other yeah, Imagineer? Claude Coates. Claude Coates. All right. uh, Mark Davis and Claude Coates kind of, you know, having a pissing contest about who does what with Haunted Mansion. And there was no, everyone was kind of fighting for who is the keeper of Walt's vision. None of that here, because um, you have the very same creative powerhouse, but you also have Walt Disney still there being like, uh, I'll tell you what I want because I'm here. Um, so the, the, the reason I say that is because it was kind of surprising to me how straightforward the history of this attraction's development was. It was really kind of like, we're going to build a pirate museum in the basement, which then turned into, well, we're going to put something in the basement of New Orleans Square. Uh, what about pirates in the basement? Well, pirates equal boats. And then Small World at the 1964 World's Fair was really efficient with its... Uh, it, it, the ride boat capacity. ride became a con, a, an effective conveyance and Dick Nunes is always looking to increase capacity. So it was like, it's going to be a boat ride now. <laughs> it's very simple. Um, and so going to go back to New Orleans Square a little bit. Um, hey, Dan, get back to New Orleans yes, Square. I'm in it. All right. Um, yes, just to remind you. Good, got good it. job. I'm on this. Good job, Jimmy. <laughs> so new orleans square just to kind of conceptually take a sidetrack here um became the first new land added to disneyland it opened on july 26 24th 1966 um but imagineers had been working on concepts for it also since 1967 um and it kind of seemed like a pipe huh well, they're talking about it since 57. But you said 67. Just want to do a passion correction today. 57. Six, yeah. Okay. 50. Okay. You know, I have problems with words. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so first attraction, open new land. Um, uh, yeah. First attraction was Pirates of the Caribbean, but that again, took a lot of time for them to think pirate museum. And then, and then it kind of streamlined into, Oh, boat ride. Um, and the ride itself opened in March 18, on March 18th, 1967. Um, 
Now, New Orleans Square, they knew that they were going to have a basement because they figured we're going to put pirates in there. So they built the basement uh, before they knew exactly what was going to be in there. And the more the Imagineers looked into piracy itself, the more they realized that a historically accurate rendition of them was not really the direction they wanted to go in. Um, and Disney official media really, really enjoys saying venereal disease when they talk about this part. Mm. Like they, I think if you look at any of the material they have out there, it's like at, at some point they will always say venereal disease because that's clearly the worst part. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, some of these animatronics may have it. We wouldn't know. Well, they all do. They, <laughs> Mark Davis gave it to them anyway. So, um, the uh, development of this ride, uh, this was the last attraction that Walt oversaw directly. Um, and I'm kind of just starting there because I don't want that to get lost. I don't know why that's in my brain notes, but whatever. Uh, I, I'm, I like, maybe points. I maybe like the points. story. Well, hold on. I like the story of uh, before he died, they built the attraction. They built all the show sets, pieces and all that stuff at the studio. Right. And they had Walt in a like a rolling office chair and they rolled him to, <laughs> yeah. a, to effectively be at like I view you'd be at on the ride. That was it's, I like that story. Right. So this is kind of like his eyes wide shut or whatever, where it's just like, okay. <laughs> a lot of cinematic references in here where you know it's like we are getting the final vision it just right. wasn't really built i'm I'm gonna you know. i'm not going to give a point for walt touched it for all the reasons that we kind of established because technically walt touched both of them okay okay you, you that's know, fair yeah it's I get effectively what you're saying. the same ride so i get what you're saying um okay. but there's time yeah so i might get um, a point here or there i might get a couple <laughs> So uh, the construction started in 1964 and Imagineering at this point is just firing on all all cylinders. You got, you know, the World's Fair was just happening. World's Fair was happening. And and they kind of in in, at this time, they were like, okay, we got a ton of corporate money. We've developed all these new systems. We know that this can be a thing, not just it's not just, you know, cartoon characters on cardboard boxes anymore it's like we have uh, animatronics we have the creative talent we have we they they are really feeling themselves at this point um so and you got the top talent of um uh, imagineering top creative talent there it says here to list roles i did not um <laughs> for the most part <laughs> every scene and every character had a scale model so they could set up drafts of the ride and push people through an office chair like you were just talking about so question is how much did walt see of this so he very 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 likely saw a mock-up of something close to the final draft from his office chair ride Mm -hmm. it's likely that there's like a transitional hallway that they had to be like oh no we have these three feet that we have to figure out what we're gonna do what would walt do but um for the most part, we can pretty easily say, like, we we can be reasonably sure that Walt had some approval level for every piece of this. Um, so I oversaw each scene. Um, 
And yeah, if there basically, if there's, I'm agreeing with my notes. If there's any part that he <laughs> didn't touch, we don't know what it is. Um, according to Mark Davis, the Paul McCartney of Imagineering, mm-hmm. uh, for reference, uh, Dan Heaspiels used to exist. Uh, Walt was able to walk through the completed ride structure, like the flume was built, but no show, no sh- uh, show scenes were installed. And uh, there's a quote from uh, Mr. Davis McCartney here. <laughs> He saw a little bit of the auctioneer pirate moving. Um, I don't know how many of the other characters. The pirate's building was up. The water channel was walkable all the way through. Walt, myself, and a half dozen other guys did a walkthrough of the ride. There wasn't much scenery up in there, just some frameworks here and there. You could tell where you could tell where you were, and Walt's reaction was very favorable. Um, I like I like the idea of them walking around in business suits. And like going on a slide down the flume. Wee! Wee! <laughs> yeah. um, so it's hard to know. And at this point, we all know how much Disney likes to gussy up their mythology. And I'm not accusing anyone of anything here at all. I think everything is probably above board in this situation. But it, realistically, it's hard to know how much of all of this is actual legend or manufactured legend. Mm-hmm. Um. Most of the people who were there rightfully have very heightened emotions about it. So when they talk about it, you know, they, they, they I, I think what I'm trying to say here is that our, our historical looking, I feel very strongly about this ride. And I think a lot of people do, and I don't want to yeah. take anything out of that, but I also want to have a realistic view of it um, and just kind of recognize that this is, it's the dark. It's kind of like the dark night. It's like, is, was the dark night actually that good? Probably. But we also have to take into consideration that there was, Context. there's a lot around it. Right. right. I mean, he, we got his, his apartment above the ride. Um, and again, I'm not trying to dis- diminish it. I just think it's worth considering that the last ride Walt touched thing while important could take away from this ride, just being a very good ride. Or being like one of the best rides ever. And like I don't think we have dying. the right. Like, I don't think we have the ability to know where that right. line is or even if it exists and it might not exist. Yeah. And we don't know that he necessarily did anything other than oversaw. Right. He, we don't know if he had any creative input. We don't, you know, I think knows? us as oh, fans, yeah. there's a certain amount of choosing to believe in the mythology right. I think it's very likely that most of it is accurate, but yeah. the further away we get from it, the harder it is to know what's what. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, we've, we've had many examples of Walt not being direct. I mean, he's, he's directly involved because it's his company and he had creative input on everything, but he changed so many things yeah, or that's he true. demanded changes. So I, yeah, people would present to- this one or this one, and it's hard to choose between one. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm not trying yeah. to be controversial here at all. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to present objectively. This this could be a, a thing. You know, I don't I don't think it is, but like, and there are certainly things that like he touched more than others. Like I think we discussed in our Tom Sawyer's Island episode, <laughs> uh, how he basically designed just the whole designed thing. It. Yeah. You know, other places like, I don't know, maybe the Tiki room. I don't, I don't see him having a lot of very close, like scene by scene, bit by bit direction now leading to it more just like there's going to be birds. Yeah. It's more of a choreographed (laughs) little operetta than anything else. Right. Right. So uh, here we go. Almost here to development. This is, this is the longest chunk. Anything else you guys want to (laughs) say? 
<laughs> no, we'll, we'll interject. Okay. 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 So once it became clear that it was going to be a ride with a story and they uh, rejected it being overly dark or historical, and it was also going to be a boat ride, Imagineer started to come up with a ton of set pieces and story ideas. Um, now they're still, of course, thinking of it being in the limited space under New Orleans Square. But mm-hmm. at some point, Walt's looking at all these ideas and he's like, there's so there's too many good ideas here. I don't want to get rid of any of them. So we're going to have to build a show building outside the berm. And by the for way, the first this, time. for the first time in forever. Yeah. Um, and um, sung a song about it and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but they, but they that's also what, had, that's the, what that song's based on from frozen. Exactly. <laughs> pirates being the first ride to be outside the berm. <laughs> Him and Mark Davis singing it together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> just picturing Mark in this short sleeve shirt with the tie. Yeah. Um, so, but they had the flume under the, you know, in the basement. So that became kind of a natural sort of thing. We're like, oh, okay, we're, we'll, we're going to have them go under the land into this show building. Perfect. Again, everything kind of just falls into place with this. Right. Um. And so, oh, by the way, um, yeah, that's I'm gonna give it um, five hundred thousand points for being, <laughs> the, <laughs> being the first ride. No, being the first ride to, to sort of break the mold and be outside the the park essentially, and to create a conveyance system that is a part of the ride that kind of disorients you to a point where you have no idea where you are, right? And it, it gives you the freedom of just kind of escaping the world which is why thematically it is the first ride that you should ride when you go to disneyland but absolutely um also you don't really think about it as going outside and the fact that that pirates in florida which we'll get to did it by the way not out of necessity but because that's what disneyland did Mm. um and then obviously if it doesn't do it as effectively but we'll we'll get to that later but anyway so i would say five points for it being the first attraction to exit the park so not not five hundred thousand. Five. <laughs> and by the way uh i don't remember if i have this in my brain notes and i could mention it later uh speaking of the layout and getting disoriented if you look at the layout of the ride it's kind of ridiculous how straightforward it actually is because it mm-hmm. feels like you're just like i don't know where anything is right but uh there are things next to other things that make so much sense uh, and I'll get into kind of what that is, but like when we're on the ride. Yeah. When we're on the ride, but it, I, I encourage if I guess anyone who's looking for that, like extra layer of depth that we can't get to in possibly two and a half hours of show. Um, I, I highly recommend you look that up because it's like, I think when you board, you're right above the treasure scene, which is just kind of, it's one of those cool little nerdy things. Um, so um, because they, he, because they, he, we, all of them opened up, uh, the, uh, the possibility of, okay, now we have this whole giant space outside the berm. It, uh, imaginers felt that there is now an expansive canvas to work on and it, ideas just started expanding instead of it being like a, a competitive atmosphere where it's just like, okay, we all have to have the best idea. It was basically like, okay, bring all your ideas because we got plenty of room for them. Um, 
and they still needed something to so they knew it was going to be about pirates so that part was covered but they now that they had this transitional idea they needed something to go in the tunnels to get to for lack of a better term the ride um and i feel like those words are going to come back and haunt me but whatever um and Mark Davis, the best Imagineer ever and most important Walt Disney employee, was inspired by drawings of coastal caves and started coming up with skeleton scenes that could possibly fit in there. Now, Marky Mark was in charge of planning out what the pirates were, what they were doing, what they looked like, because, you know, he's a character guy. Um, that's his background. And Claude Coates, his bestie, uh, was in charge of the backgrounds and the layout. And uh, it the project also benefited from Coates' background in architecture. Now, in, at this point, Davis and Coates, they're kind of, as, as they say in the Imagineering documentary, they're not like friends. They're not going to hang out. They're very differently wired people. I was going to say, they're not really besties, right? No, no, no. Not from what I've heard. But at this point, there's no reason for them to be contentious because Walt's still there kind of, you know, guiding the ship. <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, you have Davis. He comes up with the character. Claude Coates is like, here's an environment where this character could exist in. There was not – there is no or very little sort of – but this is my idea and this is better. This is my idea and this is better. It was just like, okay, well, here's this. You come up with the character. I'm going to come up with the place that the character goes in. We're fine. Um, so the set supported David Davis's animated character studies and gave the characters proper space and light to work in. Uh, again, very different from their, uh, for lack of a better term, collaboration on Haunted Mansion. Uh, Blaine Gibson, star of uh, Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln, was mm -hmm. responsible for sculpting the three-dimensional reference maquettes and full-size full figures. And what he would do is he would take uh, Davis's characters, but he had liberty to make adjustments. And usually what this looked like is he would take it, he would take kind of the idea and push it further. And according to Mr. Gibson... Uh, this is a quote. They only had a few seconds to say something that could be understood from a distance. Mm. Therefore, everything was exaggerated, especially the facial, facial, facial features. The characters expressions quickly established who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. Um, so basically he's looking at, I'm going to embellish reality because we've rejected the realistic thing anyway. He created 30 different heads, including a number of repeat heads. So if you look carefully, mm -hmm. You could see the characters repeat, and you can also see some of the heads repeat in Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion, like for example, yep. in the jail scene, the one that's whistling is the one blowing out the candles on yep. the, in the dancey scene. So, Dan, <clears throat> real yep. quick, I know this is—I'm getting ahead of us a little bit, but just for context for the listener and the show building and the points that have been awarded to the right, I had no I, like I didn't know when you exited the the park and go into the show building and just in my mind it's after the second drop is when you exit but it's actually not yes, until sir. and logically speaking now that i'm seeing it in my mind's eye you don't exit the park until you're transitioning into the pirate ship scene yep. that's the show building yep and then yeah, not going a, down first yeah and so what happens is you're loading you get on the boat and you basically just go in a big circle yeah go around and then when you're going 
this the first drop is next to the lift hill. And when you're coming up the lift hill, you're actually going over the first drop. And then the second drop is under the load zone. And then you kind of zigzag. Then you go in the show building. And it's not until after the jail scene that you go back into the park. Right. It's so cool. And if you think about it, if you think about writing it, you have those two areas that are pretty much straightaways. Yeah. So it makes search, it makes sense in terms of construction. You want to have that part be as simple as possible. Right. And by the way, they're right next to each other. Yeah, because you're insane. digging holes in the ground, right? So right. having it be straight makes the most sense. Anyway, sorry. No, it's fine. Gave me a little break and the, the listener a break from my voice. There you go. Um, now, the pirate script was written by Imagineer Xavier Atencio. And uh, one day while walk, walking through the attraction and listening to the soundtrack, he turned to Walt and said, uh, you know, that, it's pretty hard to understand all these people saying all of these things. And Walt said, yeah, I'm paraphrasing. He was like, yeah, this is not a problem because like when you're in any sort of crowded space, like a cocktail party, you're going to zero in on an individual uh, conversations and kind of figure out what's going on. And by the way, this will also give people not necessarily a reason to write again, but a reason for when you write again, it doesn't feel exactly the same because you're noticing different things because there's so many different things to notice. And Atencio also wrote the lyrics to that song by George Bruns, not George Burns. Not George um, Burns. Do you want, do you have a little, I have a little bit more on, on X and writing the music. Yes. That would be song. wonderful. That'll give sure. you a chance to do things. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> um, as long as you don't mind. Yeah. Exitensio was that classic. He, he's that classic story of an Imagineer who was involved with, with Walt Disney, you know, a, as a studio and had no, had no experience writing a song, but he basically, as he was going through this and he's writing the script, it, he kind of, promotes it to Walt and says, Hey, I've got an idea for a song that we can use throughout the entire ride. And he hums a few bars and he sings a little bit of the yo-ho, yo-ho. And he, he kind of came up with that initial hook and kind of figured that, well, if Walt likes this, then we'll get the Sherman brothers to write it because they had just come off of doing Mary Poppins and they were doing a lot for the studio at the time. So why not? Yeah, we'll have those Sherman guys. They'll, they'll figure it out. It'll be great. And Walt hears it and goes, Perfect. Finish the song and get George to write the music for you. Well, so Exitensio, an an artist and and writer is is suddenly tasked with with writing music, and it's one of those classic examples of Walt Disney saying, "I know you you think that this is your job, but I think you could do that." Yeah. Well, and, he knows his talent too, and I was just right. as you were telling the story, I was thinking I didn't know where this was going to go, so, and I was thinking like. Hey, I'm going to get on and I'm going to make a joke about, can you imagine if the Sherman brothers wrote the music and the, and the words, like what a mess that would be. Right. You know, cause I mean, they're just it, different writers. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. But that was, that's exactly what X thought was going to happen. It was, well, we, we have the Sherman brothers write everything right now. They're, they're great. We'll have them whip up a little, little ditty for this. And, and Walt speaking says, of, oh, you could do it. And speaking of people writing music, uh, now would be an excellent time to get a shout out to our composer, J.R. Tremp, who yes. we don't give nearly enough attention. But no, no that we are the theme song for the Supreme Resort 
and the theme song for Scraping the Vault. And then when you hear variations of the theme, they're also JR. He does it masterfully and very quickly. One of my favorites being the the Boys and Boys one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was us. (laughs) Whoa. Um, It was you all along. Yeah, my my favorite is the Star Wars version Mm, where I was getting onto a plane and I said, hey, JR, we were thinking, could could you do a Star Wars version of the TSR song? I take that back. That's my favorite. With the force theme. And he said, which one? Which one's the force theme? And he looked it up. By the time I landed two hours later, going from Disneyland to wherever the next stop was, I, I got off the plane and I had an email from him where he was bragging saying um I, I wanted to make sure i got this to you before you got off the plane because i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> yeah and uh he, was very yeah, proud. He, he does a lot of good music beyond podcast uh theme songs uh i think he's even written an album right yeah he's working on an album right now he's almost done uh, this is the first album he's ever produced but uh, it's kind of a progressive rock experience and he's recording the vocals for it right now and I've heard most of the music at this point and it's pretty fantastic. Um, he, mo- most of his work has been focused on, on music for marching bands. So he does some original music that he, that he sells to, uh, to, to bands for shows, but he also does a lot of arrangements. Um, so he's a very versatile composer. And if you want to learn more about how you can work with J.R. Trimp, go to trimp.org. That's T R I mpe.org is that i j r p what's that t r i m p e yes t r i m p e.org did i forget the i no i just no. thought it was e for a minute oh okay no only one e at the end yeah. and uh yeah look Support up jr he's great he's a good dude and so uh tensio i'm trying to think of a way to transition back okay done um he <laughs> speaking of music again <laughs> Yes. Uh, So his job was to tie all the visual elements together and give guests something to whistle on the way out. Um, The verses had to be written so that everything made sense no matter where you ended up. That's what I was going to ask. It feels like it's around like small world. It's it's like a round song where it doesn't matter where you are. It is. And um, if you listen to it enough or listen to the album versions enough, you can identify where it ends. But Ah. it's. It's kind of it, it's it's intended to be cyclical, but just like anything like that, you can, if you listen to it enough, identify, OK, that's the split second of silence. Um, but it's not like the uh, uh, Splash Mountain where it's like, oh, that's where the loop is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, more crew. Alice Davis designed and fabricated the costume. She had the ridiculous pleasure and good fortune to be married to a genius like mark davis um <laughs> but seriously she was a genius in her own right yes, <laughs> Is it, yes was it this ride that she did two sets of costumes for and they didn't yes. have the budget for it and then there was a totally. fire and they lost them and like hey well i made two and they're like you're making two from now on yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what happened they they kind of underestimate they didn't estimate correctly how much it would cost to make all the costumes. And so when she got the budget, she was like, I have enough for two, but I'm not going to tell them. So she went ahead and did it. Um, And she was dealing with these uh, designers 
who are like from the classical school of uh, mm-hmm. sculpting. So they all had junks. Oh, and so, <laughs> so she, she was like, <laughs> so she's trying to fit these costumes on these pirates with big old <laughs> bulges. Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> And she's at the, at that point they're looking at it. She's looking at it. They're like, Oh yeah, that's probably, there's probably no reason for us to have done that. It's just getting in the way. And a quote from her was, uh, you need to get a hacksaw and cut it off. (laughs) So they did. One interesting uh, fact that I learned about, uh, about Alice and her costume design, uh, Carlos, the mayor, Mm-hmm. Who's in the well uh, to make his clothing look wet? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, to make his clothing look wet, she doused it in mineral oil because they didn't want to have actual water on it, where the clothes oh. would start to degrade and stink over time. So yeah, she used natural mineral oil, hmm. and that's very that smart. makes his very clothes cool. look wet. Yeah, and she was just off of uh, making all the costumes for all those small world. tiny, terrifying children of It's a Small World, who, by the way, at the end. Um, so never mind. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Wait until that show. Oh, that's right. We haven't done that yet. Um, so kind of at the end of this part here, and I got some final products and stats. As I said, the, uh, it opened on February 14th, 1967. That was about uh two months after walt died um because i know all the dates of all the things and it cost them five million dollars uh you got two show buildings and uh takes up hundred and twelve thousand eight hundred and twenty six square feet you got 46 flat bottom boats called bateau in the creole language of new orleans uh you got 22 passengers along a 1,838-foot-long canal at 2.5 feet per second. Uh, you got a two-foot-deep canal held almost three-quarters. It holds almost three-quarters of a million gallons of water. And when, thing, when things are running as they should be um, and you're loading passengers every 20 seconds, you got a capacity of that bad boy of 3,600 guests per hour. Which Did is you a say lot. 22 bateaus? 22 passengers, uh, 46 boats. Uh, I'm, I'm curious for myself, which would be a differentiating factor for me as a judge. How deep does it go with both drops? Oh, give me a second. Um, I don't yeah, know. Disney, I, go ahead. Disney World drops. So Magic Kingdom, it drops 14 feet. Ooh. How so does anyone possibly the, ride it? You're in the, the Utilidor area. Right. Because famously, yeah. Disney World is on the second story. It's 14 feet above the the lake. Right. So, yeah, it's going down to that that bedrock. Bedrock. It's all swamp sand and garbage. I, I got to imagine yeah. the Disneyland one's got to be deeper than that. Because it just feels like you're going down a bigger hill. You are. Um, do you want to take thinking a, about that lift hill back up? That is way higher than 14 feet, but you wouldn't right. know that at Disney World because you don't go up it. Okay, so um, do we? Do you want to take guesses? There's two. There's two drops. Which one do you think is the longest? First one. First one. Correct. Yeah, it is the first one. Yeah, and that's got to be 14 um, feet by itself. Uh, final answer. Yeah, we could do prices right rules. Uh oh, Eric, what do you think? One foot. One. <laughs> Wait, that's not how you play this game. 
It's the closest. Wait, Eric, to going have you looked it up? Do you know? Do you, do no, you know? I, I or do you want to? Okay. I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. I just know Disney World. Listener at home, if you would like to call in with your guest, call eight eight five six our ears. <laughs> Tell Mike. Callers are standing by. Just yell out a number and hang up. <laughs> uh, Eric, what's your guess? What's your guess? Uh, for for both together for the longest drop which is the first one oh the longest one um height wise uh, yes. i i don't know 15 feet eric wins because he was closest <gasps> it is 52 feet what oh no uh, length and in, that's yeah, the you're, length you're this talking drop 52 feet well, maybe a, maybe I'm wrong. So, it, which is interesting because at <laughs> like uh, at Magic Kingdom Mountain goes 52 feet. The the length is Hold also on. 52 feet. <laughs> oh, interesting. But, but it's just it's 52 a feet long grade. and 14 feet down. Oh, maybe it's long. Yeah, I think Hold on. Yeah. 52 feet is long. Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> it's a five keep, story building. Keep looking up things. I, what I'm getting at is Disneyland goes deeper and therefore adds more of a thrill element to the drop, and I would give it a point if I'm correct. Well, there are two, so okay. Yeah, there's that's the ride portion. We're still in the uh, history. Eric wow. still wins. The first is uh, eighteen feet. Okay, eighteen. The second okay. one is thirteen feet. There you go. So Disneyland Which, gets a point for having a more of a thrilling drop sequence. But I know we're not so there that's yet. one point for each extra foot that you drop. <laughs> we'll just give it a point for the, the thrill. Anyway, all right. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it won't stop. Uh, okay. Um, so, and now that I look at it, I totally should have identified 52 feet. <laughs> too big. 52. <laughs> but like. It's a roller do- coaster. I was, I was in research where I was like, well, that's what it says. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it says on the internet. It's right. <laughs> it's from a book Pretty this much. time. Um so, and both drops are at an angle of 20, 21 degrees. We'll get to that. Um, so, final product. And yeah, we got, but 3,600 guests an hour. That's a lot. It's, uh might be the highest capacity. In the park? I know I did look it up. Or between the two. Uh, I think between the two. It's, we'll get there, I think, sure. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I do remember that the that Disneyland does have a higher capacity just because of its length. Right. Isn't it funny yeah. that Disneyland is bigger? Hmm. Oh, funny how that yeah, works. It definitely has a, a higher capacity. It's a longer ride. And I think it even beats out Haunted Mansion for its capacity. Yeah. Dan, speaking of the longer ride, um, and I, again, we're not there yet, but how long is it meant to be? Like I know, sometimes you get bogged down in the in the little you fighty get stuck in the, the, the fire. Hill. Yeah, right. This is again where my notes and brain memories start kind of collapsing on each other. Mm-hmm. I believe fifteen minutes. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, anything else on the history? From there, all I have is the queue and the stuff that we have separate categories for. Okay. Great. So Eric. I get to drink water and pee. Woo! At the same time. Oh, it's just you wait. All right, Eric. I I know that we covered a majority of the history of the Magic Kingdom Pirates, but did you have any other color that you wanted to add? Oh, yeah. Well, really, when it comes down to the design of the ride, you're right. It's it's basically the same story as as Dan was telling here, because it's it's the same people. It's 
seven years later, there's a lot of a lot of overlap. Now, mm-hmm. Dave, essentially, when uh, when they were planning the original Magic Kingdom, Mark Davis had a plan for the Western River Expedition. It was a ride that he thought was going to out pirates pirates. Mm-hmm. He wanted to create this attraction that was bigger. It was crazier. It was a Western story with cowboys and Indians. You yeah. Know. And we talked about this before. I, I was he developing it for Disneyland, the area that is now uh galaxy's edge, or was he developing it for magic kingdom? It was specifically for magic kingdom because he wanted yeah. to create the thunder Mesa complex. Right. This That's giant. Yeah. This giant area that would have encompassed where big thunder mountain and splash Splash mountain Mountain. and it was all sort of one show building that had like three different attractions in it and they overlapped and that kind of thing exactly yeah it it was really impressive Uh, listen to that episode i talked a lot about it ultimately right yeah it would have changed quite a bit about the park Mm -hmm. but it was a very expensive project so it was moved to phase two oil embargo etc etc right yeah um now, once the park actually opens, they're still actively creating plans for this. Mark Davis is still working on it. But guests actually complained about the lack of pirates at Walt Disney World. They they had heard about pirates. They had seen it on the Disneyland show. They wanted they wanted pirates. Now, the reason pirates was originally left out is because uh, supposedly People in Florida knew all about pirates. Um, and anecdotally, uh, they were very real and had left their mark on Florida. Now, yeah, what, you're right there. What, right. I mean, you're pretty close to the to the Caribbean. Comparatively but, speaking, you know, from California, you're practically in the Caribbean when you're in Florida. True. Was now, the thinking, were, right? Right. And that, that's kind of it. There were actually pirate... It, Pirates were present in Florida at different times in the past. So starting in the 1500s, uh, pirates did were actively raiding the Florida coast. Uh, the, the Spanish had plenty of, uh, of uh, they had colonized that area of the country. Um, now, some of the pirates were, were privateers raiding colonies on behalf of the government. Some of them were British, some were, were Spanish, um, some were from other areas. So, Let's Pirates see, uh, were kind of like the original Florida man, if you think about it. <laughs> in some in some ways. Now, they're they're probably more successful than the original than Florida man. Um in eighteen in fifteen eighty-six, British privateer Sir Francis Drake burned St. Augustine to the ground. Uh, the the original Spanish settlement. St. Augustine had to be completely rebuilt. Uh let's see, 80 years later. Um, is that 80? Yeah. 1668, a Jamaican pirate named Robert Searle sacked St. Augustine again. Uh, it was, he created sort of a uh, Trojan horse situation where he hijacked a flower ship and sailed it into port and uh, raided, raided the colony. This resulted in, uh, in a, a fort in the area, the Castillo de San Marcos, that was built in 1695 that was designed to beef up the presence of military in the area and protect Spain's uh, trade routes to Cuba. In 1715, and here's here's where uh, this is another inventive pirate, Henry Jennings was a pirate who found that a, a treasure fleet, a Spanish treasure fleet, 
was uh, wrecked near what is now Cape Canaveral. They had all of this gold and jewels that they had clearly stolen from indigenous peoples of uh, Central and South America. And the, they were, that's where the gold comes from. That's right, where you get right. it. Yeah. Just ask Elon Musk's family. <laughs> they were sailing back to Spain and this these treasure ships ran aground during a hurricane. Uh, and Henry got to thinking, hey, uh, what are we... If there's a whole bunch of treasure in shallow water, maybe we can get some of that. So twice, Henry got a crew together and robbed the Spanish recovery efforts as they're digging up this this stolen this stolen booty. booty. Yeah, uh, twice he raided their recovery efforts and robbed them so blind. He without, raided the booty. He raided the booty without spilling any blood. Two raids. Oh. He retired a wealthy man. <laughs> No, no bloodshed, no, no killing from the, from, from raiding the booty, from raiding the booty. Good job. I don't know what Dan's laughing about. I don't it's either. It's just a I, story of a pirate who, who by successfully the way, stole takes, some treasure. Takes a lot of prep work for that. <laughs> by the way, it's a good thing there was a lot of water. Lube things up. Um, so by the way, uh, that, that fort that you're speaking of is still there. And mm-hmm. you can actually, it was made of seashells effectively. And so it's so absorbent. You can actually still see uh, bomb shells from ships that are just lodged in the side of the fort. It's a very cool, it's a great, that town has a great story. Uh, and you can see the development of the town by the floors of the building. Like first floor was British or Spanish settlement. And then the British took it over. And so the second story is very colonial British kind of thing. And it was a really interesting story. And you can actually, there's a visual storytelling element to the, to the city. So go uh, to St. Augustine. That's really interesting. Yeah. They call it I the did. first coast. The first, because coast. that was sort of, you know, where uh, Ponce de Leon discovered Florida, I think. And that's where he landed, something like that. So they call it the first coast. And then you move a little further South and it's called the space coast and the area code for that area. Like, um, where NASA is area code three, two, one <gasps> liftoff. Uh, yep. And that's on purpose. Uh, nice. The end. I like it. The point end. for me. Yay. <laughs> both. both um, I don't have a good sound for that. All right. Well, uh, so yes, pirates. pirates were a reality uh, in, in Florida. And that's why Disney originally thought, well, we don't need to do the pirates, right? Well, everyone wanted the pirates ride. So in 1972, Disney president E. Card Walker declared that they would create a new pirates ride on a very short timeline. In fact, they even gave uh, buttons to cast members that read, the pirates are coming Christmas 1973. That's cute. Oh, it's interesting. When pirates opened, it was E. Card Walker who wanted it, and it took an E. Card to write it. (laughs) <laughs> Guy changed his name because he loved his, his job so much. <laughs> was going to be E-Ticket um, Walker, but. <laughs> uh, Didn't really work with his name, Carden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to hold on to this for later, but I'm going to introduce now just as just to put it in the in the stew, so to speak. I truly believe that over the long haul, Disney World should have stuck with Western River. Yeah, agreed. But, you know, you got to listen to your, what your audience is asking for. And, they, you know, Disney World was a, a big Dude. risk. And yeah. and it was, and it, you know, it was a rough time in the world. And like we talked about the oil embargo and all kinds of uncertainty. 
so they were conservative and you didn't have Walt around anymore. I think maybe Walt's around, you still have um you still have Western River. I think he fights I, for I it. I think so. Because Mark oh, yeah. Davis was like right yeah. next to him office and, and I think and you know, Walt famously doesn't do sequels, quote unquote, despite the numerous amount of flubber sequels this, and whatnot. This company loves them. <laughs> right. Well, it, yeah, it's it's a lot cheaper, you're right. And yeah, they had done a few other rides that were the same. They had tried, they had thought about doing different versions instead of Peter Pan. They were going to do a Mary Poppins ride. A- another thing that probably wouldn't have happened if Walt was calling right. all the shots there. But anyway, uh, date. So the um, yeah, Cardwalker wants to do the ride again. They need a people eater that can accommodate. Now. <laughs> Apparently, at the time, he said they they wanted the attraction to accommodate four thousand two hundred guests per hour, which even Disneyland doesn't doesn't do. But um, but yeah, so he's going for it. They designed this Caribbean plaza between Adventureland and Frontierland, and uh, Davis was tasked with designing the experience. Davis wanted to improve upon the original attraction, but he was given less money and less space. Uh, he still had to where it was going to be placed, they still had to create a show building on the outside of the, on the outside of a berm. So he can re- oh, recreate back those a- points. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he still kind of has to deal with some of the same things, but why change it? Why not build it where it goes underneath the railroad tracks that it allows you to do the same drop sequence that people like. Uh, so he- it just, just for my own context, it feels like here when you're dropping, you are pretty darn close to the berm and it feels like the queue kind of takes you back all the way to the kind of the back side of the park next to the track. And so getting under the berm is a lot shorter sequence. Is that right? Talking about the train track, right? Yes. Sorry. Because it feels like you go pretty far back into that building, which would lead me to believe you're really close to the train tracks, which means getting on the boat dropping under the berm is a lot faster. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in fact, there's an area on the main, the, the non lightning lane part of the queue where you kind of turn around and you're, you're kind of heading back into the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some exit doors that go out the back and it's a cast member exit. I've seen, yeah. I've looked through there. The train tracks are right behind. The oh building. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm, my suspicions are correct. I think they are correct. Yes. Um, but yeah, interesting placement and all of that. Well, Davis, really didn't like the reverse waterfall. He never liked that after the ride was done, after the climax of, of everything, you see the treasure room and then you have to sit in the boat for another five minutes as you ride back up the waterfall and then go around and you see the queue. He didn't like that. So he yeah, wrote it's also that a out. bottleneck too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, these days for sure, as they're trying to crank people through. Just to hold that thought. That's okay. All I'm, I'm going to say. All right. Well, Hello. Davis, ensured that in this and the Tokyo version that came shortly thereafter, that you would disembark downstairs immediately after the treasure sheen, treasure sheen was finished. <laughs> Eric, how those like, new teeth working for you? Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, it's like going up a, like a moving ramp and coming out of a tomb. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you know you, what? You, 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 <laughs> that's literally in my notes later. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, he also be he really want because he knew he had less space. He wanted to make the scenes that he had a little bit better. So he actually created for a lot of the scenes, including the the, the town square and the auctioneer scene. You actually spend more time 
passing them and the boats are, are, are moving toward them in a way where you get to see them more than in Disneyland. You spend more time in the scene. So even though it's a shorter ride, it's eight and a half minutes long. You do get to experience some of this a little bit. Uh, you get to spend a little more time contemplating the fate of these poor pirates. Presumably you're going the same speed as Disneyland pirates, or is it slower? As far as I know, it's, it's the same. I don't know yeah. that I have that quite that same. I, I haven't found that same. So uh, explain to me why, has, but. why you're in there longer. It's presuming that you're in this, you're going the same speed. You get to spend more time because we'll talk about it when we get to the okay, actual ride, but fair. some of the, yeah, some of the sequences are just designed differently. You're not, you're not taking it. There's a little more scenery in between the, in between each segment. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there we go. That, that is, that is history. It was put together quickly and debuted on December 15th, 1973. Uh, strangely, uh, seven, the seven year anniversary of Walt's death. Oh, wow. On that day. Yeah. Wait, on the same day. On the seven day? years later. I, do you think it was on purpose? If it was on purpose. You're getting a point. I don't know if it was on per- that. That seems like a weird thing. Let's celebrate Walt's death. with. Well, there's some poetry to it in that it, it was developed. The last ride that Walt like, you know, really had all the oversight and they're celebrating his life by opening that ride again, seven years later in his Walt Disney world. I think it's appropriate and I'm going to give it a point regardless. Wait, wait hold on, hold on. Dan, you're going to win. Relax. <laughs> I mean, wait, I mean, I'm doing uh, it before Dan talks about it. You couldn't open it 14 days earlier. All right. Let's see what day. Because they were aiming for Christmas 1973. Um, What? Let's see. December 15, 1973. Sorry, 10 days earlier. You couldn't open it. You couldn't just say like, hey, let's, let's, let's boost production. Let's do 10 days earlier so it's not on his death day it's but on his birthday. birthday yeah that's a good point probably probably Happy on a birthday it, walt here's your birthday a, present not it, hey look sucker you're not alive to see <laughs> disney world as a whole sucker <laughs> my goodness stupid it was stupid it, dying it, it person. was a saturday and they probably didn't want to do it on christmas itself i don't know a saturday seems like the kind of day you want to open up something like this do it um, on the sixteenth. <laughs> on a Sunday, you don't you don't open up a open new ride right on a Sunday. Sunday. What are you crazy? <laughs> you know you know what else happened on December fifteenth, nineteen seventy three. The American Psychiatric Association declared that homosexuality is not a mental illness. Oh, progressive. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Okay. So great. Um. I believe the current score is six to one. Um. Okay. Let us go to. The cue. This will be short. Go ahead, Dan. No. Oh it, wait, I need to pee. Make don't make it too short. Okay, Pirates of the Caribbean is a ride, and all rides. Listener, Eric is still have lines. He's peeing in his. Oh, he's getting up. He's getting up. <laughs> okay. Um, all rides have lines, and they call the lines at Disneyland a cue, mm-hmm. not the letter Q, mm-hmm. but it's like K. But the U, it's like K-Way. Queen, um, queen. Queen. <laughs> it's a fancy word for line. Uh, okay. So I'm not, I was hoping to see Eric's disappointing, the look, disappointing 
disappointed look on Eric's face as I dazzle you with my cue details, Jimmy. But I. Um, well, we can always just write down the time and have him cut it out. We could, or we could not and have him figure it out. Yeah, we can listen to it later. <laughs> um, which one do you want? Listener, which one do you want? Call in 856 Our Ears. Jimmy, would you like to tell us about. Or you could take this opportunity to tell us about concierge. Well, concierge, as a matter of fact, we have two. I have two new clients. One is a listener of the Ears Up podcast network. Mm. And I don't believe she listens to the Supreme Resort because she's emailed the main thing say, hey, these guys rave about you. I'm a planner. Uh, or, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I love planning Disneyland. A person who plans. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, but I've heard really good things and things are a little confusing right now. So hook a brother up or a sister. And so she, uh, reached out to concierge and then, uh, they sent it to me cause I get all the, and she said, you know, listen to the shows and, and the plan. And I said, okay, well, great. I, thanks for listening to ears up it's a better show. And she didn't respond to that. So I don't think she listens to our show. Um, she may not know that I'm even on this show. She'd never heard it. But she anyway, so her name is Lucia. And we're planning their Disney World, Disneyland trip in September. And then I have a co-worker whose wife's company is going to send one of their clients to Disney World. Oh, wow. So this is like a corporate trip. No, you know, spare no expense for this, you know, really high, high dollar client. So that's that's fun. I don't know their names yet, but they they reach out to us. Here's the best part. This person who works with me, his cousin is a Disney vacation planner and has mm. a podcast about Disney World. And he came to oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Score. He's nice. like, well, you're just easier to deal with. So uh, you're going to plan the trip. <laughs> anyway, so two new concierge clients and... Eric's back from peeing. So we're going to continue Yay. the show. Yay. And now we have our concierge thing that you could either put at the end or leave it where it is. Um, he wanted you. Okay. To, he wanted to see your reaction to this cue. Kind of. <laughs> oh, okay. I get it. I mean, All right, let's go. Okay. So I will concede that the Disney world cue should win over this cue. However, I want to go down with some facts because I had no idea. And Jimmy, you are going to do that thing on that other part of the thing. Um, the building facade is modeled after the Cabido building in New Orleans. Now, this was used as a city hall for Spain's municipal government when they had a municipal government. It is now the site of, it was also the site of the Louisiana purchase transfer ceremonies cool. in 1803. Hmm. And is it is currently being used by New Orleans City Council. I'm sorry, and continued to be used by New Orleans City Council until the mid 1850s. It is now a um, a museum. So if you think about, if you think back to, um, hold on, hold on. If you think back to um, the idea that this was going to be a pirate museum, and you consider that this is now in a facade of a building that is in fact a functional museum, it starts to clear up some things about, um, I think conceptually starts to clear up some things about why the queue is the way it is. You're going into a museum to see a, an exhibit 
about pirates. And this ride is the exhibit. And if you think about it that way, you walk in, you see everything right in front of you. It kind of answers some questions about why the queue is the way it is. Besides necessity, I understand that. Um, sounds of being impressed, anyone? Uh, I, I'm impressed only from the design element for New Orleans Square. What it was, what it became are not connected because it was not a museum at the time. So I get the I get the connection you're making, but it was more probably a building that looked like something no, but, in New Orleans. But we are we are in New New Orleans Square has no time to it. Sure. It's not set in in a time at all. It's just New True. Orleans. Okay. So but at the time they were developing this ride and putting this pirate uh, wax museum boat ride Yes. That building was not a museum. The building in New Orleans, yes, it yes, was. It was at the time. Yes. Okay. I get what you're saying. I yeah. appreciate it as a fun fact, but I don't think it's relevant to the queue, so continue. Okay. Um so I mean not even like half one. Just come on. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh the queue you got be grasping at straws. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I no I, honestly I I I I just I landed on this and I was just like, oh, that's actually really cool, really cool. When, and it is really cool. And when you're when you're researching these things, we know a lot about these rides. You know, we can spout off stories and that kind of thing without research. But when you start to research these things, even going in, going, hey, that other thing is going to win. It's like that's really cool. Like the and I've used it a thousand times, but the the um, Liberty Square thing, I learned so much about that land that I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a better land than New Orleans Square. And to this day, I still feel that way. Uh, yeah, so and I, I I'm not I'm at all arguing that. Yeah, connected. and I'm not in any way arguing that this queue is better at all. Right. Um, however, uh, yeah. However, I do think that these queues really fit the places where they are, mm-hmm. space wise and yeah, thematic totally. and everything. Um, so the queue consists: you go into a courtyard. Yeah. And you go around some go around some courtyards there, and then you go inside. There's some crates there and painting pirates. And you go to Lafitte's Landing to board your ride, and I will get into more about Lafitte's Landing. Now, the not sure. So I don't know if I would like the entrance statement in that you can see people coming off the ride or if I like the preview. I'm not sure. And in retrospect, and I don't know if it's still there, but on the island, there's like a bird mm-hmm. and the words Pirates of the Caribbean in... Uh, they like show up in fiber optic light. Yeah. Don't know that I love that. I don't know that I love it either, but it does work as like a title card for right. the movie. Um, I, I can't really argue one way or the other on that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It at least um, gives you more than outside the building where there is nothing that says inside this building is a pirate adventure. Well, I mean, except you've, they you've got the they sign, have the, there's yeah, a sign yeah. on the bridge, but, right? But it's just it's there's just a sign words. on the bridge, and there's a sign on the building. It's but when you look at it, you don't think pirates; you think that is a building. Yeah, you, I, you look I, at it, and you immediately recognize that that's where they signed the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, I, I'm kind of agnostic on the the extra fiber optic sign. I think. I remember at the time that they did it, I didn't love it, and I think I've grown to be like okay this is just part of the ride now right um I, what i do like are the the paintings of pirates like real pirates on the walls yeah. it feels yeah. very spanish 
Floridian, you know, Caribbean. It just feels very Caribbean-y to me. I don't yeah, like how yeah. they added Captain Jack Sparrow. That kind of ruined it. I get I why think. they did it. And, yeah. and I like how effective it is in blending in as though he was a real pirate. Um, but yeah, no. Um, just uh, so people can stop screaming at their phone. Uh, there were some changes to the queue and some current events involved. Uh, the bridge <laughs> that you now go over, uh, you go under it to enter the ride. You go over it to not enter it. Um, that was built in 1985 and it used to be just flatland. Oh. which if you look at some pictures, like I, I was there when right. that was the case. And I kind of remember, I I remember them building the bridge and I remember thinking the bridge was a weird addition, but I don't remember like a sense memory of what it looked like before it was straight up just flat land. And if you look it up, huh. it's very weird. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was, so the bridge was built, for some necessity was it as a bypass for bottlenecking right yeah wanted, it was yeah I, they wanted to make it so that you know people can walk over the line mm-hmm. and visually it just it 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 i think it's really pretty but works, i remember yeah. I, yeah it totally works but if you, oddly enough if you look at the old pictures it looks way more like new orleans without oh, the bridge sure. yeah but i mean famously it, not a lot of bridges exactly um can you imagine so, like with today's like 2018 2019 crowd levels how hor- like the the bottleneck there was bad then and that's with the bridge can you imagine what it was like without yeah without it, a bypass well with- funny you mentioned that because they also used to have and it's still kind of there but it's it's really in, in dispute how usable it is there's this very 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 and if you wait in it you know why i'm saying very this many times long hallway to if you're facing the building to the left of it that is like mm, an extended mm-hmm. queue area mm-hmm. and again if you've waited in it it's you very, know very, very, because very long yeah yeah and because of the curve of it you never know where it's going to end. Uh, that thing goes right up to the edge of the berm. Right. I believe some of it is now taken up by uh, Indiana Jones queue. Mm-hmm. And on the front end, it's taken up by the edge of Tarzan's treehouse. And I think However, we talked about that, that they're talking about getting rid of the treehouse and just making that more queue. That. I don't think that people would stand for it, but it is something that they could do. Right now, they're talking about uh, the Tarzan's treehouse is not going to be Tarzan anymore. Uh, there's Tonto. rumors it's there. It's the rumor, but I don't know that that's the case. Um, could be my, double down on Johnny Depp. It's going to be Johnny Depp's tree treehouse, <laughs> not tree, treehouse of terror. Just no, it'll be Johnny Amber Depp. Heard's treehouse next to pirates. <laughs> I I think if I'm putting if I'm betting on, it. on the bed, um, <laughs> but I could see if, I I could see Encanto it being one of that kids' room that gets the the jungle room. I could see it be in his room. What I, so what I'm hearing from Fresh Baked Guy and other sources is that yes, that makes a lot of sense, but that they want to give Encanto more of a presence than just like an overlay. Like they want it to be its own thing. So it does make sense. However, Disney Plus, I guess, is gonna have a Swiss Family Robinson TV show. So it could be Swiss Family Treehouse again. Yeah, that'd be cool. I am I have been speculating in my own brain and I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but I feel like that 
extended uh, queue area. So they have been doing a ton of construction lately. Pirates is currently closed and they've been doing a ton of construction to clear up the walkways in that area. Mm -hmm. And that extended queue has not been used at all for years. It's just been sitting there. It's just like dead space. And they removed the giant Tarzan stump of obstruction that mm-hmm. was oh, that's there. Gone to, it's gone. They're removing it. It's, oh, it great. it's almost gone. So yeah. to that end, if they do bring back Swiss Family Robinson, I mean, if you think about it, um, I would call it an underlay. Because you know how they overlay yeah. things? It's an underlay. Yeah. So all the stuff's still there. They just Face added a bunch of plastic. Pla- exactly. Face <laughs> off. They just take uh, out the Tarzan stuff and it's Swiss family again. Yeah. Uh, so, but in terms of the queue, I would... Fresh Bake Guy disagree, disagrees with me. I Because we're buddies. Not really. Um, I would not be surprised if we see, to some extent the return of the extended queue to whatever extent they can use it because they're looking to get people off the, the pathways as much as possible. And that area could take it. It could handle it. Yeah. Anyway, just some ideas. Uh, they also in construction took out the two trees that people are probably very fond of mm-hmm. in that line. However, they replaced them with Southern Magnolias. So it's, more, and they're like, more they're pretty yeah, and they're pretty well grown, so th- some concerns were addressed there. And that's the cue for me. Yeah, that's about it. You're right, and it's I don't I don't like that cue. I, I appreciate the courtyard feel, but you're effectively in the sun a lot and under trees. Yeah, I guess, but it's not trees. too bad. It's a it's, rusty. It's not rusty water. But it's know. the. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to argue that it's great, but I think what I've discovered in learning about it is that there's, there's more to it than it just like a line and you go in the building. Well, yeah, true. What year was the, there's the rededication plaque. Was that the 25th anniversary of pirates? I I I have no idea. No idea. It's like right in the middle, right behind the fountain. Yeah. Um, I didn't look into that. The, uh, what I also don't like, well, I guess what I like, don't like is that it's a one take visual indicator of what that line's going to be like. Cause if that line has switchback ropes in the big, you know, area between the river and the bridge, you kind of have a visual gauge of how long that line's going to be. Yeah. And each chunk, and this is again, fresh bait guides has done a lot of research on this. Each visual chunk, at least in its configuration from a while ago is effectively 10 to 15 minutes. So in the courtyard, 10 to 15 minutes. Mm. Next chunk just outside, that's about 10 minutes. Next chunk, that's about 10 minutes. Next chunk, that's about 10 minutes. Hmm. Who knows what that's going to do afterwards. But that line can, it that I don't know how to pass tense and future tense at the same time. But <laughs> that line has been able to and probably will be able to look really uh, daunting. But if you consider how quickly it goes through people, that's true. Yeah, you know, it really is just like oh, it's just what looks like to a, a regular what what for like Thunder Mountain would look like is say half an hour is probably about ten fifteen minutes for pirates. Right. Yeah, that is a very effective and efficient loading, and you know, forty six boats at twenty two people a pop for sure. Uh, good way of thinking of it, and um, Eric. I suspect if they did the same thing at Magic Kingdom, for the listener who has not been, between the Swiss Family Treehouse and the Pirates Ride, 
there is a long corridor. Uh, it's you know not a covered walkway. It's a, just basically a, a pathway to backstage. Mm-hmm. And if they were to do what Disneyland did and make that the queue, and you walk in the building, go down a little hallway, and and get on the boat, that this ride, if they used the same space, would also be fifteen minutes because <laughs> that building is so massive and it's all a queue. It, yeah, yeah, that is a good point. But go ahead. Okay. Well, I can go ahead. All right. As you approach the building for Pirates of the Caribbean at at the Magic Kingdom, uh, you'll see that it resembles a Spanish fort. The fort is called Castillo del Moro, and it is inspired by Puerto Rico's Castillo de San Felipe del Moro, which was a citadel built starting in 1539. It was developed over centuries, added on to as as the needs uh, as as it needed to be added onto, I suppose. Uh, and it was what, what was the name of the, the building? Castillo de, Castillo de San Felipe del. And that was his brother Tom. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. M O R O. Moro. I don't know. Uh, it was taken over briefly by America in 1898 and was occupied until 1961 when America gave it back to Puerto Rico and said, here, make a museum out of it. All right. uh, famously, the um, the Citadel was involved in a defeat of Sir Francis Drake, the famous privateer. In 1595, they they ran a large chain across the entrance to the bay, and his ships could not get in. Oops! So they thwarted a raid by the famous privateer. Hey, I've been there, Sir Francis before. Drake. You've been I'm to looking at pictures. I've been to this place oh, in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yeah, and don't All look right. a thing like pirates, but that's fine. That's what it was. <laughs> Maybe modeled after. Looks like someone's losing a point, Eric. Oh, no, no I just only have it. the one. <laughs> Dan, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> that's true. Go ahead, also sorry. a very large place that's basically yes. a town at this point. Which, like, pirates queue. Right, yeah. Uh, as you approach, you will also notice a particular watchtower called the Torre del Sol. The the sign for the attraction is a oh that's a interesting shipwreck. yeah there is a watchtower outside of the the building that's right hmm. okay with a big clock and what yeah it, and the the queue right yeah I see it I see it now I see it now oh I, I mean I thought you were talking about at the actual the no real I'm talking Castillo. about well both yeah they, okay. there's a watchtower okay. outside of the real one and I'm reminded that there's also one at the Magic Kingdom yeah. Uh, the the sign is a portion of a shipwreck. It is a bro- broken mast with a sail that has the name of the ride on it. There is a skeleton keeping watch from the crow's nest. There's also a warning, a, a sign attached to the sign that reads, you may get wet. It, it, hmm. I like that it leads with you may get wet. You may get wet. Join the swashbuckling adventures of pirates as they invade a Caribbean seaport. Your boat will drop down a short waterfall into dark, mysterious caverns where dead men tell no tales. The Barker Bird, right? That you're talking there about? There used to be a Barker Bird until right. 2006 when the bird yeah, was so originally, to the World of Disney store. The Barker Bird originally was outside uh, the unloading area of the ride in 1973. Uh, but there was like crowd control and, and congestion issues with the Barker Bird in the unloading area. So they placed it out in front in 1975 and then like you said in 2006 they moved it to the disney store there you go and 
There it goes. Yeah. And it's not there anymore, I'm sure. Nope. That, that was 2012. They got rid of it. Oh, okay. All right. Look at that. You know all the all the numbers, all the dates. Mm-hmm. Reading all right. my brain notes. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, at various points, you could also hear more than just the music from the movie and Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho. You could hear cannons and, and soldiers fighting. That's been greatly... The volume of that has been greatly reduced. I'm not sure if it's even still playing now. I think yeah. it's just... Music from the ride. I, I can't remember the last time You're I talking really about heard in the queue, the right? Yeah, in the queue and outside because they've right. got the cannons out on the side that you can activate. The pirates adventure game. The pirates adventure. Yeah. yeah. Does Walt Disney World not believe in subwoofers? Because I've seen <laughs> footage of those cannons getting shot, and it's something that I have. It's just yeah. It's all it, trouble. It's like they're not going to wake up the neighbors. I, I, not Nick. I am nitpicking, but I'm not. <laughs> it seems probably like, like it would a make cast a member difference. like break room right behind. You don't want to upset them. Just don't put the put the cast. You have all this space. I <laughs> Just, don't know. It doesn't. Low well, it doesn't frequencies play the sound aren't at all even now. directional. The, 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 the that's thing better. is gone. <laughs> you, all you can do is see it. Okay, that's all. <laughs> Anyway, again, your cue should will and should get more points and win over mine. I'm just pointing Uh, out that there's a thing I've noticed with like this kind of stuff all throughout Disney World. where it's just like, eh, let's just have a a little like Radio Shack. Yeah, it's like like the like fire sale at Radio Shack. Let's get the smallest little like car door speakers that we can find. There's a guy named Ben who stands on the roof. who yells bang. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, basically. That's funny. <laughs> All right. As you approach, as you get through the uh, the switchbacky area in the front, mm-hmm. uh, you approach two massive doors that are the the main entrance. On the left, it's a um, the the left side is more more soldiery. The right side is more piratey. Huh. Uh, the right side is also where the lightning lane is now. And the left now, side, you actually spin faster too, right? <laughs> in the um, queue yeah. so that, that as a visual indicator I, you know me i'm a very parallel thinker but it, like i'm thinking the courtyard at disneyland is not unlike the courtyard at disney world there's just one's covered but it has a right. lot less it has a lot less charm to it it's just this open space with switchbacks so it's, if, it's if, got spanish influence like the rest of the area where right. the t- there's tiling there yes. the the stanchions for the uh, for the queue are old wrought iron, right? Yeah, and and another uh, visual uh, indicator, by the way, of how long that ride or that line is going to be, because you've got definitely. a bunch of people in that queue area. It's like, oh, boy. yeah. I would argue though that I mean, I get what you're saying, Jimmy, but I think if you imagine the the chains taken out and just look at the space and the building as maybe space, yeah. I think it's actually very effective. Oh, it's okay. it's it's beautiful and it really does prepare you for the ride it, itself and I, I'll talk more about that when we get to the the land impact on the the design of this area and of the the entrance to the attraction. It's all thematically together. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have a weird dream sequence where you transition from the bayou to the Caribbean. The You're already Islands. in the Caribbean. That's did, a good point. Did, did, did you get my notes? It's- what? Huh? <laughs> the, the 
that entrance courtyard is is definitely has Spanish themes. You have you have arches, you have tile. I I think it's a very I, I think it there's a lot of theme that starts in that portion of the queue. So it's not just switchbacks. It's not just covered switchbacks. There's a lot more to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have well, to look at it with, next time I'm there. With yeah. both the coloring and the actual structure, it is very clearly you are not in jungle anymore. Mm. Which is right. But it's still Adventureland, as we talked about before. Adventureland right. can be a lot of things. True. Mm. And you've transitioned out of yeah, it's it's a mini land. It really it it's still technically part of Adventureland, but it is yeah, Caribbean. But it does feel square. very it's, separate. It does feel very separate. It feels like yeah. a courtyard. Because you take that turn past the um tiki room and the and the, the Aladdin spinnies. And it does feel like a completely different land. You're right. It doesn't it, feel it, like Adventureland. It, it well, and it is. It is also kind of hard. I think just, and I'm not saying this in a necessarily critical way. It's just sort of the way it was developed. It does sort of feel like it does feel. It has a sense of being tacked on on to the extent that if you know oh, that it was, it's like, oh, here <laughs> yeah, we go. It was. You know, I, I don't think anyone would like just visiting for the first time and just be like, this doesn't fit like at all, but just sort of like there is a, there's a definite distinction of this is a different place. This is not what it was supposed to be originally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you go left and you're on the more soldiery side. You're passing supplies and cannonballs, um, weapons awaiting those brave Spaniards who are defending their turf from uh, against those nefarious pirates. Um, there are rifle cases made of wood with iron bars and padlocks to keep the munitions secure. Uh, there are vintage cannons that are in position, ready to fire with cannonballs, casks labeled, uh, labeled explosive. Um, there are the plungers that you use to pack it all in there. Yeah. There's also a room labeled um, armoria with more boxes and barrels of gunpowder. At various times, like I mentioned, you would hear soldiers yelling, oh, the pirates are attacking and all of hmm. that. So um, haven't heard that in a while, though. Uh, to the right side in the lightning lane, you pass through dungeons and other dark areas. Most famously, the uh, there's, a, there's sort of a well, there's a rounded area that you pass in the queue where there are bars. And if you look into it down below, uh, there are two pirate skeletons playing chess. Oh, this, cool. This was, uh, it's very dim. Um, and I think last time I still heard they had voices down there, like ghostly voices, but I can't quite, yeah. I, I know I've heard that plenty of times. I just don't know the last time. I forgot about the voices. Fast pass. Yeah. I don't like the voices. No, they're not I think there it's anymore, an, I think it's an unnecessary touch, but yeah, you're right. They're not there anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, l- let's see. So these, these two skeletons were playing basically died playing chess is what it is, what is implied here. And from the 2005 Imagineering field guide to the magic kingdom, uh, there's a story about, uh, about how Mark Davis designed this. He specifically designed the position of the chess pieces to be the type of stalemate. Oh, interesting. No, no matter what moves they do next, it will continue to circle around. Oh, how so cool. it's a stalemate, but they can still move. Pe- it's not the type of stalemate where you can't make any more moves. It's the type where you can make moves, but no one will ever win. That's really cool. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, yeah, and it's it's crazy. And they, um, the, I mean, we uh, got it. We got to give it a point for that lead detail of Imagineering. Oh, that's not it. Well, <laughs> it'll count as well. <laughs> 
Why aren't you playing, Sea Captain? Ahoy, mateys! How do you feel of tacos? Ahoy, yeah, mateys! Right. How do oh, you no. feel of tacos? Still no. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, it, at some point in the past, it was someone was cleaning down there and didn't realize the significance of those pieces and just moved them. Oh, no. And it was discovered many years later that Mark had specifically designed this because they, they were going through some of his old concept art. And on the back of, of one of the drawings he made of that scene, he lab- he had drawn out the positions of all of these pieces on the chessboard and wrote that this is why he, you know, basically the reasoning behind that it. That is so cool. I love that. And why so I they, do this they, show, people. That's it, it's it's pretty cool. And they, they put it back and it's it's remained that way ever since. Um presumably they had to, someone in the park had to resist the urge to make a hidden Mickey down there. But <laughs> <laughs> because Mark Davis designed it that way, it'll probably re- remain for oh, can you imagine for, from hidden, hidden Mickey out of chess pieces. Right. Of course. Uh both sides of the line have very dim lighting really kind of yeah. sets the mood, uh, allows you to acclimate to the night setting. Mm-hmm. You have, partly because it's a longer line indoors mm-hmm. than the one at Disneyland, it really, by the time you get into the attraction, you don't have to like figure out where you are. When you take off, you, you're already used to it being dark, which is kind of a nice, uh, a nice addition in my, my opinion. One of those weird... Agreed situations at Disneyland where suddenly you're just on this, the line does move so quickly. You really need that early section to, to get used to the dark. Mm -hmm. You can board boats. Uh, Originally you could board boats. Well, no, currently you board. And we're not, we're not there. We're not there yet, Eric. Sorry. But um, Disneyland does effectively do that with the addition of the Bayou and, you know, blue Bayou and the banjo. And that does the same thing. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. But we're not on the right, so go ahead. But uh, you, I would I would also argue that if if and I'm not it's, it, I I love it. It's perfect. Everything you heard my opening statement. Um, but if Disneyland did give you more of that opportunity, you would see more details in the Bayou. So, as a fan so, of the Bayou, yeah. I want to. Yeah, good point. Well, yeah, when you go in at night, you have that right. Because that area like, it's is kind of like dark a, at night. It's it's like a thing I noticed on Thunder Mountain at Disneyland. If you ride it at night, you actually see the inside of that first tunnel more. Mm. There's actually bats in there, like actual like oh cool yeah animatronics. But you know you can actually see stuff. Yeah. All right. So you were going to talk here. about the the loading area. There were there were two loading areas. Yeah, that originally were they were used. Right. Yeah, they were originally it was designed to have two launches. There's only one used now where you board from both sides. If you're in the lightning lane, you head over the line and come downhill and board on one side. Uh, if you're in the regular line, you board from the other side. And yeah, like uh, one boat gets loaded on one side, the next boat on the other side. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Two separate right. boats. Loading. They were having congestion issues when they were loading on both sides. Cause you had to convert into one ride sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. unlike well, Th- Thunder Mountain, not unlike, uh, you know, Incredicoaster, et cetera. So for the listener, that's what that would visually write. Right. But yeah, it's it's really designed to in- improve that loading capacity. And it does. It does nicely. And All right. your loading area is that's where there's that that very that ship that's very clearly very, very far off in the distance. Right. With the. Mm-hmm. 
the moon and the clouds and everything. Yeah, yeah, that moonlight bay sequence. I'm kind of considering that like your Lafitte's landing. It's it's part kind of part of the queue, but it's also the first thing you see on the ride when you start. Right. When you start for that's one of those those sequences, the moonlight bay sequence that I still because I've ridden the Walt Disney World version. I mean, I've I've ridden the Disneyland version so many times now as well uh, because the lines usually pretty manageable but because i is that a point up, by the way what? what the line being more manageable at disneyland manageable no well it's it's usually shorter i don't know if I, I i use manageable because it tends to be a shorter line at walt disney world you have a generally a longer line but you, you get to see more cool stuff in it but anyway i i always think of the moonlight bay sequence i forget that it's not at disneyland yeah, but we do have a moon in the bayou, and I'm bringing that up because um, in uh, Curse of the Black Pearl, and this is something that my mom pointed out when we saw the movie, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, um, was back, that one, is that the moonlight itself plays a very important part in the story because yeah, they totally. are becomes They turn into skeletons. Yeah, and she she was pointing that out to me. She's like, it's so that was one of the first things I noticed is that you know how they have the the moon in the bayou and the clouds go over it and the moon and she didn't know about Disney World, but they have the same thing, the moon with the clouds going mm-hmm. over it. It's like a Neil Gracie thema- effect, by the way. Yeah, it's a thematic effect. It's it's a thematic element that they really focus on in a big way in the movie, which is kind of interesting. Cool. Do you think that was intentional? Like oh, I think absolutely. That happened to already oh, yeah. be in the ride as is just a thematic element yeah. became because because if you love the ride, if if you're familiar with the ride and have a deep deep appreciation for it, that moon is part of it. You know what I just realized that in that movie also Johnny Depp sings "Yo Ho." That's from the ride. Yeah, it's from the ride. <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure it wasn't written for the movie? I think it was a coincidence. No, it was. <laughs> It was Johnny Depp sang the song in the movie, and then they added it to the ride. Except that one was yes, that one was written by George Burns. So (laughs) Dan's camera is nodding along with him. I know, I noticed that. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to give the cue in total uh, an additional four points. Ahoy, mateys! How do you feel of tacos? Are we counting loading as cue, or are we counting loading as beginning of the ride? Because I have some things. I mean, historically, loading is, well, I don't know if we've ever, I mean, loading is loading. We haven't really counted it as the queue. It's kind of like, okay, queue ends, then you get on the ride, right? Right. These, these are so thematically rich, these ride experiences. Stepping into boats. So, because I kind of failed the queue then if that, if this counts, because we go to, again, Disney World has, okay, fine. I'm not going to take any points away, but this is good to know. Uh, at Disneyland, you can't you take go, any points away anyway, Dan. I have in you other have episodes. Um, so you board the ride at Lafitte's Landing. Now, who am Lafitte? You might be wondering. Um, <laughs> he was a privateer. The feet. Yes, <laughs> he was a privateer and smuggler who interrupted his illicit adventures to fight heroically for the United States in defense of New Orleans in the War of 1812. Now, he used the bayous uh, of Louisiana to <laughs> smuggle in contraband from Burrito Bay to New Orleans. So, mm, you know, bayou is a connection there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there's an anchor there's commemorating. there's a bayou right there. Yeah, see, see, oh. it's all coming together. Uh, so are he you has saying an, yes or are you? 
what? They can't <laughs> see it. C, C. I didn't know what you were saying. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Spanish or um, he has an anchor commemorating him on the streets of New Orleans Square, and it has a plaque on it uh, reading, "Said to be from a pirate ship commanded by Jean Lafitte in the Battle of New Orleans, January fifth, eighteen fifteen." It's also said that Lafitte's privateering ships left a wake of blood from the mainland to Barataria Bay. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't you but don't believe everything you read. Now, there was also and this is going to I'll save this part for the land itself. Um, but yeah, you board from Lafitte's landing and it just so happens. And again, I'll get into it as we get into the land itself and all sorts of things about why this ride should win, there is an unused mega theme revolved around Mr. Lafitte and all the things that he did, which I'm not going to say points please yet, but I reserve the ride to say points please later for that. Okay. Well, let's revisit it uh, as we get back to it and, and realize the significance of this part of the attraction. Once you, you elaborate a little bit more, but Listener, um, you may be looking at the timestamp saying, oh, my God, they're over two hours in. There's not much time left and they haven't even started the ride yet. Um, This was not intentional. We've been kind of not jerking you around, but we've been having a lot of fun, you know, as they say. One for them, two for us. I don't know. Anyway, um, so it's been a long time since we did say? a verse. I don't know. I think Martin Scrooge said he said it. I don't know. Um, but the we um, we wanted to do this and we want to do it justice. But we kind of stopped earlier and realized if we did this justice, this would be a five hour episode. And so just kind of to give you guys a break and to give us a break and to do the service that this ride requires and deserves, we're going to make this a two part episode. So. This is not intended to be a gimmick. We're not jerking around. It's just we want to do it right. And I think so far we have. And we will continue in part two with the Pirates of the Caribbean ride and the impact on the land. And we acknowledge that this is absolutely the kind of bit that we would do. But... But this is not a, not bit. a bit. This is not a bit. We just we're just running out of time. And yeah. and legitimately, was it yesterday or the day before when I said, "Is this going to be a two part episode?" And you said, "No, we can get this done in one episode. We can't do we, this we'll, to the fans. We'll be long. We'll do yeah. it, and it will be, and it could be. But I think after a three hour recording session with a, a good hour and a half left of content." Um, just for everybody's best interest, we are going to make this a two-part episode. So next episode will be the second part conclusion of the Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, thank you so much for listening so far. You guys are doing an awesome job with your research. I love it. I'm learning. I think it's fantastic. It is, like I said before, the reason that I started this podcast is for this type of show. So thank you for that. Uh, also, we talked about concierge. We, are, we do have other shows on the network. That's Eric Stars in Ears Up. Uh, ears up in depth, uh, banter, Beskar, and or just Bantha Milk podcast. Sorry, just Bantha Milk, milk, milk lemonade around yeah, the corner, around the corner, Bantha, Bantha milk. milk. And uh, then, of course, scraping the vault. The next episode of scraping the vault has come out. <laughs> uh, it's come out. It was Mulan two, and we had a lot of fun recording that one. I loved it. I loved every moment of it. <laughs> I have Mulan two posters on the way from Amazon. Um you'll you'll hear it it's or you have heard it we all know how much i loved it shout out to my dentist by the way who heard about the show from me and listened to it and told my (laughs) wife that he was very impressed and entertained by said show so on two specifically no this show the supreme resort 
So anyway, but um, yeah, so that is our show for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, listen to the other shows, L- rate and review us like um, like uh, the Can- Canada guy. You oh, know listen to the hub, hub crawl. Listen to hub frostbite.ca. Thank you, frostbite.ca, for your wonderful review. And listen to the hub crawl, even though it's not on our network. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Eric's mistress podcast. Um, anyway, yeah. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Be good to each other. And we'll see you for the exciting conclusion of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, I think if Audrey were on this episode, she probably would have started it with like ahoy and R and that kind of thing. <laughs> she's more fun than us. Well, she's just, uh, she's just fun. You're right. She's she more is, fun. Yeah. She has more fun. You're right. And she's like, she's younger and hipper. She knows all the kids love that pirate talk. <laughs> There's a talk like a pirate day. Like I told my kids, um, you know, this generational, these jokes, they just get passed down. Uh, we talked about the new pirate movie. It's rated R. No? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody's heard it. Yeah. <laughs>